Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. Welcome to week 30 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Uh, We've almost certainly gone out of our way to see all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you, the listener, doesn't have to. Uh, My name is Craig Fields. And I am indeed David Long. And coming up on this week's show, we'll be taking a look at On the Basis of Sex. This is starring Felicity Jones, Army Hammer and Justin Theroux. We'll then be having a look at Instant Family, Rose Byrne and Mark Wahlberg star in this family drama comedy. Then it will be time for The Kid Who Would Be King. Joe Cornish returns to direct Lewis Ashbourne Circus, Dean Chamu, Tom Taylor and Rihanna Doris in this kids' adventure movie. It'll then be time for A Private War. Rosamund Pike stars as Mary Colvin, the fearless war correspondent. And we'll be rounding off the show with a review of Happy Death Day to You, <laughs> starring Jessica Roth, Israel Brosard and Fee Vu. As weathers this week's reviews, we'll be looking at or talking to Ranjit Namra. <laughs> looking at Ranjit, that would be odd, wouldn't it? Uh, he'll be giving us a behind-the-scenes look at Cineworld, or a, a behind-the-scenes look at the Cineworld experience. There we go, get more words out. Uh, and he'll be sharing his thoughts on all things film as well. That is right, Craig. And as always, we will have our usual features, including the box office rundown, news, and cinema at home. But we'll kick off the show with the most important question. Craig, how was the date? It was a <laughs> for 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 people who who may not have heard last week's episode, Craig did take a lovely young woman on a date um, to see on the basis of sex, and it no. was put on by Bumble. No, yeah, so let me just uh, recap a little bit. Bumble Bumble invited me, and which, a plus one, which. Bumble is, it? Bumble is a dating app, yes, right. yes, I'll give you that. But they invited me to see a screening of On the Basis of Sex, uh, a preview screening that was uh, obviously... Did, did you explain to the young lady that this was a film about a, a, a female solicitor? Because On the Basis of Sex, Bumble date, it could have been awkward. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> no, there was... <laughs> No, there was no um, cross parallels of understandings or anything like that. No, it was always new. The intentions Mm. were, would you like to come to a preview screening that I have a plus one for? Mm. Um, David couldn't make it. Um, He was too busy working. I I refused. No, no, you didn't. You said you were too busy. Uh, You would have come if you could have. Maybe. (laughs) You would have enjoyed it. It was really, really good. Lovely set up in a really nice hotel. The seats were lovely. Free popcorn, free Mm. drinks, and uh, a very nice screen as well. And it's a film we will be reviewing on today's show. Also, I'd just like to say... um sort of a massive thank you and a, and a welcome potentially to some of our new listeners our um, episode with Jeff with our our interview with Jeff Lloyd that was our most downloaded episode ever we had a real spike in downloads so if you listen to that episode and you're still listening to this episode it means you liked us so welcome back uh, and also if you are a new listener we're just going to br- very briefly explain what the podcast is about it's simply is it worth it every week we see all of the films in the cinema even the bad ones and we basically tell you is it worth seeing in the cinema and by that is this something that needs to be seen on the big screen because sometimes Craig we see films that are worth it but potentially not worth paying to go and see in the cinema yes that's absolutely right I mean there's so many films that we say it's okay 
yet. Wait until it comes out on streaming <clears throat> services or on <clears throat> DVD. Um, but even then, when you reflect upon that and you watch it again on streaming services, there's films that I've actually said that about and I've rewatched and I thought, actually, no. It's yeah. not worth watching it. And watch it. Um, if you're wondering how we have the time to do this, neither of us actually no. really, really do. <laughs> um, and in terms of the, the way we finance it, well, we have a Cineworld Unlimited card. It's a fantastic card. £17.90 a month. You can actually get £10 off your first month by using the code Is It Worth It? All one word. Uh, and that means you can see as many films really as you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is unlimited. The only restrictions um, you are restricted by is. Um, the, the, when the when the films are on, so yeah. if the if the cinema's not Cineworld's not showing that film at a certain time, then you obviously you can't see it. But you can basically see any film yeah. that's in the cinema at that time, at the specific times that they're showing. And I, there are a few people, particularly in Hemel, that make use of this Cineworld Unlimited card. One particular, well, us obviously, one particular gentleman who seems to always be here. Um, but it's a fantastic scheme, and if you do <laughs> like your cinema, um, do check out the Cineworld Unlimited card. Before we kick off with the main show, um, we have delayed the release of this uh, episode. Craig has been um, battling a chronic illness, but that's not the reason <laughs> we're, we're running behind. It's because I'm unorganised and a buffoon. Um, whilst Craig has been battling really bad health, he's still managed to get really quite prepared. I, on the other hand, have not been so prepared. But I will tell you what I have done this week. I've started watching The American Office right. um, on Amazon Prime, and I'm really enjoying it for the for the simple reason that it's so nice to watch something yeah. and not have to critique it. Yeah, I know. Just sit I know, there I mean. 20 minutes and just watch something for the enjoyment of it. I don't think it's as good as Ricky Gervais's office, but it's lighthearted and, and I'm growing into it. I'm on season two now. I'm trying to power my way through it. I know exactly what you mean by having to watch something and actually mm. not be able, have to critique, yeah. critique it at all. So you might have remembered from the last couple of weeks that there was a, um, there's a lady on Twitter called Kerry who mm. wanted me to watch uh, some other Julia Roberts films mm. and I've started for some reason watching a lot more Julia <laughs> Roberts films. And uh, the one that I watched was My Best Friend's Wedding. Mm. For some reason, I watched that obviously not to critique and um, it was terrible. But <laughs> the only saving grace about the film was Rupert Everett. Mm. What an extraordinary actor. He was brilliant mm. in that. But yeah, I mean, it was it's enjoyable to watch a film and not have to write yeah. down notes and, and, and find flaws in it or yeah. find things obviously you don't find flaws in it but you know what I mean yeah absolutely um, and yeah also we've had the Oscars we had the 91st Academy Awards um, we are going to be bringing you an awards season special where we recap every award ceremony from the Golden Globes to the Oscars with everything in between, including the Producers Guild, the SARG, uh, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, etc. Big show. Green Book won Best Picture. Um, and the main shock of the night was Olivia Coleman winning Best Actress. I felt really bad for Glenn Close, her seventh nomination, and mm. she still hasn't taken that, that Oscar home. But we're going to be doing quite a detailed analysis. And also, Craig, I'm going to be um, going out of my way to predict some potential winners or nominees for next year's Oscars. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Already. Um, so, yeah, uh, welcome to week 30 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. And let's kick off in our usual way with the box office rundown. This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast.
That's right, it's the box office rundown for the weekend of the 22nd to the 24th of February 2019. David, kick us off at number 10. So, at number 10, Craig, we have Bohemian Rhapsody, which has snuck back into the box office. It took £200,000 at the weekend. It's now grossed £53.3 million in total and has been in the box office for 18 weeks. I'm not surprised that this has come back in. Obviously, there was a lot of... um, sort of hype about this film leading up to the Oscars. Rami Malek uh, won Best Actor for his portrayal um, of Freddie Mercury and people have gone back to the cinema to see it. I wasn't a huge fan of this film from a critical perspective. I enjoyed watching it, but I was quite disappointed afterwards to find out that Rami Malek didn't sing, that historically it was quite inaccurate. Um, So from a film perspective, I don't think it was brilliant from a viewing perspective it is quite enjoyable and i can understand why it's done very well at the box office yes agree with that in at number nine we have a uh, a different film it's total darmal uh this is a foreign film it's taken uh, two hundred thousand pounds at the weekend it's gross two hundred thousand pounds in total because it's been in the box office for one week we have not seen this and i don't think we'll have an, uh, an opportunity to see it either um which is a shame Yes. <laughs> but at number eight, we have On the Basis of Sex. That took £0.5 million at the weekend. That's its total gross as well. It's only been out uh, for the one week, and we are reviewing that on today's show. In at number seven, we have Green Book. It's taken £500,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £6.2 million in total, and it's been in the box office for a grand total of four weeks, fresh off the back of its Oscar win for Best Picture. Um, this is going to be doing fairly well, I think, and I think it will climb. It'll be mm. put out in, the, in, in more cinemas mm. um, because it's won, and people will be probably flocking to go and see it to see what the fuss is all about mm. if they haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Um, but I think there are certain other films that have won on the back of certain Oscars that have been reissued. And I don't know if Green Book's been given that many more showings. I, th- I think it probably has. I haven't actually checked. No, I've had um, a look and it hasn't been given I mean, if, if, if you want to know sort of our detailed analysis of Green Book, obviously check out our awards special. Um, it was a film we both enjoyed. Um, but at the same time, it, it did have its problems. And in many ways, it's quite a controversial Best Picture winner. Um, but it does come into the box office at number seven. Yes. What's on the number six, David? Number six, we have Cold Pursuit. Liam Neeson um, bursts into the box office on the back of his fairly controversial uh, comments in an interview about this film. Uh, it took £0.6 million at the weekend, and that's its total gross. Uh, it's been out for one week, uh, and we will be reviewing it on week 31. In at number five, we have The Kid Who Would Be King. Uh, it took £600,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £2.6 million in total, and it's been in the box office for a number of weeks, and that's two weeks in total. Um, <laughs> and we're going to be reviewing it this week. Indeed we are. Above that, at number four, we have Alita Battle Angel. Uh, that took £900,000 at the weekend, which is very good indeed. It's grossed £7.7 million in total and has been in the box office for three weeks. Um, we've already said that the idea of the podcast is to let you know our film's worth seeing in the cinema. Not only do I think this film is worth seeing, I think if you want to see it, you have to see it in the biggest, loudest, Best screen possible, IMAX, IMAX 3D, Screen X, Super Screen, something like that. It's typical um, Jim Cameron. It's a visual masterpiece. He's 10 years ahead of everyone, I think, with his special effects. Just remember, he's only produced it, though, as well. Yeah, I know. know. He's not directed directed this. It's... um, 
it's it's he's literally just put in I want this to be done in this way but it's it's Peter Jackson's mm. company that's actually brought this film to life Jim Jim Cameron's done a great job in bringing different elements together getting the budget producing it in that way but I think um, we've got to give credit to Rodriguez for, oh, yeah, no, for of course. really bringing it all together, yeah. really. Like, and, and, we, and we spoke about James Cameron and, and Rodriguez's relationship and, and, yeah. and Del Toro as well. And if you want to hear our full review of Elite Battle Angel, that's on last week's episode. Yes, uh, we've also got a message from Kerry on Twitter. She did write a review last week and I completely forgot to, to read it out on last week's show. So I, I have promised to to read it out on this week's show. Uh, she said, Alita Battle Angel is a 7 out of 10. Action-packed sci-fi, I'd watch it again. Females that can fight, I think, have an appeal with the Hunter Warriors always hot on her heel. A teen love story and Hugo's cute face makes likeable characters that you want to embrace. The special effects were exciting and impressive. Although, although Alita's eyes were rather excessive, uh, it ended with unanswered questions, leaving room, no doubt, for Battle Angel 2, so fans watch out. And I think, yeah... Spot on, really. <laughs> Battle Angel 2, 3, 4. And probably Prequels. Nine. Prequels, yeah. All sorts. But yeah, no, brilliant. Um, great message there. In at number three, we have How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World. It's taken £1.6 million at the weekend. It's grossed £15.7 million in total and has been in the box office for four weeks. I see this not really moving much at all. Mm. It's, uh, it's in exactly the same place as it, was, as it was for the last week's box office, which we haven't actually brought you because we skipped a week almost mm. um it hasn't budgeted at all um which means it's doing really really well mm. and i'm um, i'm glad it's still there it's one of the best animated films of 2019 so far without yeah shadow of a doubt. um like i've explained in previous podcasts i hadn't seen the first two so i went into this not really knowing what to expect and i loved it uh, i thought it was visually very very impressive very moving um a fantastic film in fact uh, and one that i would definitely again recommend seeing on the big screen in at number two we have instant family uh, that took 1.7 million pounds at the weekend uh, it's got 6.4 million in total it's been in the box office for two weeks uh, and we will let you know if it's worth it on this very episode <laughs> And in at number one, it's the Lego Movie 2, the second part. Mm. It's taken £2.4 million at the weekend. It's grossed £14 pounds, £14 million. <laughs> that would be disappointing. That's that one, cin- yeah. one cinema ticket. <laughs> £14 million pounds in total. And it's been in the box office for three weeks. Um, yeah, we, we did enjoy the film. I think we critiqued it a bit too much, having listened back to the episode. Um, it, is a re- it is a really, really good mm. film. It's not quite as good as the first one. No. Um, I feel like we might have missed the point a little bit with the film. It's a very enjoyable kids' film, and kids mm. are absolutely loving the film. And that is, it just proves it by it being at number one. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. But I think what we were trying to get across from an adult perspective, it was very in your face, very loud, very colourful. So definitely something to see on the big screen. Perfect for children, plenty of humour in it for adults. But I just found it a little bit too intense. But like I said, maybe we went we went in with our critical hats on, and actually yeah. we needed to calm down, eat some fruit, um, you know, <laughs> do some meditation and, and and not take ourselves so seriously because at the end of the day it is a children's film um and our job isn't to roast children's films <laughs> that's not the purpose of the podcast no <laughs> so david 
Can we have the rundown from 10 to 1, please? Yes, you can. The full box office rundown. At number 10, we have Bohemian Rhapsody. 9, Total Darmal. 8, On the Basis of Sex. At 7, Oscar winner Green Book. 6, Cold Pursuit. 5, the kid, the kid Who Would Be King. 4, Alita Battle Angel. 3, How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World. 2, Instant Family. And at the top of the, par- top of the pile, the Lego Movie 2, the second part. So our first review on week 30 is on the basis of sex. Now, this is directed by Mimi Ledger, known mostly as a TV director. So this is her first real outing on the big screen. Um, I was invited by the mobile app uh, Bumble uh, to take uh, myself and one other to a special preview screening of this. And um, well, thank you very much, first of all, Bumble, for inviting me Mm. to come and see this. David, unfortunately, you weren't able to make this screening. (laughs) But nonetheless, you have seen the film, which Mm. is great. Great. Um, and uh, Amy, who came with me, thank you very much for coming with because it was uh, it was nice to have somebody else with me and not sitting alone. In the <laughs> you're basically saying it was nice to go to the cinema without me. <laughs> yes, I mean, <laughs> you know, it was it was nice to have somebody else with me on this particular screen mm. because obviously it's a dating app and it's a one you know plus oh, one event. I wish you'd gone on your own. It would have been so. There sad. was one gentleman who was there on his own and he was trying to chat to some of the ladies who had obviously taken their friends with. So it was like ladies had taken their friends, mm. like girlfriends with. And uh, he was trying to get involved um, by, by talking to them and they just fell miserably. And it was quite quite sad. So I thought that could have been me. That could have been me <laughs> trying to interact with people and just failing miserably. However, it was fine. So I was very pleased to, to have done that. So anyway, what is this film about? Well, it sees Felicity Jones uh, playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a.k.a. Kiki. Uh, it's 1956 and Ruth is a fearless intellect and uh, one of six women in her class to attend Harvard Law School. Her husband, Martin, is in the year above. Together, they raise their first child while attending law school and battling stresses that no couple should come up against so early on. And it's clear from the start that men in power disregard women and those that hold a place where a man could have sat. Uh, Determined, Ruth pushes on and and fights for equal rights on the basis of gender discrimination in the courts. Let's take a listen to a clip. This is only the sixth year women have had the privilege to earn a Harvard Law degree. This little soiree is our way of saying welcome. My wife, Harriet, and I are very glad all nine of you have joined us. Let us go around the table and each of you ladies report who you are, where you're from, and why you're occupying a place at Harvard that could have gone to a man. Yeah. Well, why don't you get us started, dear? I'm Henny Callahan. Father's a lawyer back in Minneapolis. He used to give me drafts of contracts to use for drawing paper, but at some point I got more interested in reading them than drawing on them. (laughs) In a few years, it's going to be Callahan and Callahan. That was fine. Next. Emily Hicks, hello, Connecticut. When I finished Mount Holyoke, my mother wanted me to get married. But I didn't want to do that, and I didn't want to be a teacher or a nurse, so Ah. when I... 
That's not a very good reason. Next. So there we have a clip from the film, and I think that's a really good clip, actually, and it really shows the discrimination and the sexism of the legal system at the time um, and the way that the man there just closes this woman down. Um, and, and the event itself, this meal, has been put on to c- celebrate uh, mm. women lawyers, whereas actually it's more of a let's get them in a room and sort of interrogate them. Um, in terms of what I thought of this film, I'm going to kick straight off by saying I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was an important film. It was a film that need, needed to be made um, sort of on the back of the recently published uh, biography and the documentary RGB. Um, I'm pleased Hollywood picked this up because it's, it's a strange story in the sense that there's no scandals, uh, there's no drama, um, there's no romantic tension. You know, Ruth Ginsburg has this super healthy marriage. She has this very respectable job uh, as as a solicitor, as a lawyer. And the director makes it work and well done, in my opinion, to Hollywood for picking this story up and bringing it to the big screen. Because like I said, yes, there's a biography. Yes, there's a very successful documentary. But for a lot of people, they're going to miss those things. So for Hollywood to pump this out and put it on the big screen, I think that's um, that, that that's a great job. I think it's it's brilliantly well acted. Um, I think Felicity Jones is is fantastic. Uh, Natalie Portman uh, was actually attached to the uh, star to the um, role of Ruth Ginsburg. Yeah, that's, uh, for, that's interesting for for at least four years. Um, but as the as the project was stuck stuck in development, um, she eventually dropped out uh, and was replaced by Felicity Jones, who I think does a really good job in in this lead role. Um, I think the, the cast around her is, is, is fantastic as well, um, with Army Hammer and also Kathy Bates, who has a very small role, but a very important role. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought that this was a really important story that, that needed to be told. Um, you know, it's a film about a fight for equality, a fight for justice, and really a film about what is right and, and and what is wrong and the fact that for many, many years women were discriminated against legally in the law. Um, and it's not a film necessarily that's designed to entertain but more to inspire. Um, and that's what I got it from. I found it a really inspirational film and a, and a, and a really enjoyable film to watch. You know, I'm I'm annoyed in some ways by some of the reviews that I've read of this film. Um, One particular large magazine, a film magazine, which I won't name, describes the film as having a plodding pace and a shortfall of fireworks. Uh, And I just think that's absolutely ridiculous and completely misses the point of this film. I mean... Let's talk about fireworks. I mean, this is this is incredible stuff. This is a woman that changed the very nature of the legal fabric of of the United States of America. That single handedly went out when no one else was willing to and challenged the sexism that was written within the law of America. I mean, that's pretty dramatic stuff. And it and it annoys me actually that some people have reviewed this film and said there's a lack of fireworks. Oh, well, you know, she didn't cheat on her husband or there was no scandals or and it's like and we do we need that? We don't no. need that. She was a, a, a hard working, driven, motivated woman who achieved incredible change on the very legal nature of, of the whole of America. Yeah. Uh, and if you if if you don't understand that, then you've completely missed the point of the film. Yeah, I mean in today's pop culture in America she is an icon and and completely rightly so she's sort of 
put down as this like real life superhero kind of woman, um, you know, without superpowers. It's her intellect that mm. she uses um, to outsmart the enemy in, in, a, in a sort of way. And, and I, seen the, I see this film as a kind of origin story. For for her, no, seriously. Like, if you think about it, it's not. It's a small fragment of her career, very small. Mm. Um, and, and if you do want to know more about Ruth after seeing this film, um, the documentary is is the film to go and see. Um, I think it's entitled The Notorious RGB. Um, and it was up for best documentary as well, which it, it actually missed out of winning because Free Solo took it. Um, rightly so as well, which is another film that we're going to discuss um, further down the line in a few episodes of time. Um, but it's a, it's a wonderful film celebrating Ruth Gainsbourg. Um, certainly had to be shown and, and certainly had to be dramatised for the big screen because obviously documentaries aren't always seen by the wider audience. Um, and I thought the film was, a mo- a mo- it was moving, it was funny, it was sad, and it was very, very inspiring, as you've already said. Felicity Jones, she, she was a superb in the role. She was a real rebel, and it really gave me this compar- comparison to um, her role in Rogue One. She was, a real, she was a rebel in that. She was an inspiring woman who, who pushed to make change, and she, did, she does the same thing in this film, and she's so perfect for this role. Army Hammer, again, yeah, as you said, was sensational, and I thought them two were really great, and the way that um, uh, the director put them into the roles, mm. it was like the gender, gender um, roles would change on their head mm. as well. Army you know, Martin was a tax lawyer. He he had a big job, but yet he was the one who was at home waiting for Ruth to come mm. home. He was the one cooking. He was the one looking after the children and she was the one coming home. And they challenged those little yeah. nuances for gender equality in those in those parts of the film as well, which I thought was a really, really nice touch. Yeah, what I mean what I loved about his character is he's this big, strong, good looking bloke with a with a great job, powerful uh, lawyer. And actually he he he's so humble mm. and and what he does is he almost takes a, a, a back seat in the relationship, lets Ruth go out and pursue her dream and supports her by doing a lot of the, the housework as well. And like you said, they flip those gender roles. And also Kathy Bates as well, like I said, she has a very small role in the film. She plays a very significant uh, character historically, but she, she doesn't get a lot of screen time. But when she does, she brings that really sort of old, wise um, element to, to, to the sort of women's justice movement. And, and overall, like I said, I thought it was a, um, a really good film. I mean, it's the sort of film that, I would like to have seen in and around award season. And I think potentially its biggest downfall, a little bit like First Man, uh, is the sense that it, it's just been very honest, very true. It's focused on quite a small part of her 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 career. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, as some of these ridiculous uh, reviews show, there's not the drama, there's not the fireworks that perhaps are needed for, um, you know awarding bodies to, to, to notice and recognise films, but nonetheless, a brilliant film. 74% of critics like it, 72% of the audience like it, and I think that just about sums it up. It's a very, very solid film. Yeah, and I, I, I disagree with the fact that there's there's no fireworks. I mean, the, the ending, the powerful court scene, the moment she really comes back into her element and really gives that really sensational speech in the last mm. few minutes and she really pushes for it. I thought that that was, that was, fi- that was fireworks. Yeah, that no, was, I, I agree. That, but, but The, the I, critics yeah. who have said that they, they don't think there's fireworks are completely missed it completely. Mm. Like, that was the most 
you know, exciting part of the film. It, well, actually, it wasn't, it wasn't the most exciting part, mm. but there, that was one of the most exciting parts that I thought was like, yes, go for it. Well done. Like, that was really what I wanted to see. And, you know, the, the funny parts that I, uh, that I thought were kind of a bit silly. It's, you, know, you know when people in films... For some reason, they go up to a microphone and and it always makes the feedback sound yeah. and all that. <laughs> and it's, it, it, I, I don't like those sort of parts, but they they showed Ruth being a little bit clumsy in a lot of different parts in the film. I didn't think that part was kind of needed all the time. It just sort of tried tried to show her as a slightly weaker person, and she almost then then the people were thinking, oh, she's going to be a, a slightly weaker character, yeah. but actually she's counteracted with all these incredibly strong elements that she goes out and does do you know do you see what i mean yeah i mean the mic feedback is used in in so many films so many films tv series and, and it what it represents is someone who's not in control so as soon as someone steps up yeah. to the mic and goes it's like oh this person doesn't even know how to use a microphone why yeah. should i listen to them yeah and like i said i don't necessarily think that that was um necessary all the time but i think it was trying to make the audience look at her in the way that everyone else was looking at yeah, her. Yeah, it's that like, audio-visual oh, cue yeah, yeah. of trying to represent her in that way and all, she, all she's going to bugger up now. You all. know, and I, I, again, I totally agree with you, the idea that there were no fireworks. I mean, if someone literally changing the legal fabric of one of the most powerful nations on Earth isn't dramatic enough from you, then you've completely missed the point uh, and you, my friend, are not a very good human being. <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous, you know. I mean, what, what, did they, what did they want to happen? I mean, you know, you know a drug scandal or... Probably an affair again, like First Man. They they it's a, it's a biopic or a biopic. But again, we still don't know which one to say. I'm I'm, ru- I'm going to take a, a a ruling on this one. It's it's biopic. Biopic. It's, We're going to go it's with biography. Biopic. Because picture. just just on a side note, when I was watching the Academy Awards, mm. someone said biopic and someone else said biopic. Actually, in the um in the ceremony itself, so it's bizarre. Mm. But um, back to this film. No. <laughs> um, it's 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 got more than enough fireworks. It's a very inspirational film and a film that I think needs to be seen in the cinema. Yeah. So then, David, on the basis of sex, is it worth it? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yes. Uh, I think this is a really important film um, for men and for women. Um, for that exact reason, it's about equality. It's about progress. Uh, it's about a woman that changed the very nature of the legal system in America. Uh, and and I think it's really worth seeing yes i agree it is a hundred percent worth seeing on the big screen and so that was our review of the, on the basis of sex it's now time for our second review and it's the kid who would be King. Uh, So Joe Cornish returns to the directing chair, finally, uh, with the kid who would be King. Cornish takes the conventional King Arthur myth and brings us a 21st century twist set in South London. It's old magic uh, crashing headfirst into a modern world and Alex stumbles upon the great sword in the stone Excalibur. He pours the sword from the stone and therefore he is destined to unite his friends and enemies against the more evil Morgana. Uh, Let's take a listen to a clip. To learn the basics of swordcraft, you will need a weapon each. A simple duplication spell for metallic objects should suffice. What are you doing, boy? I do magic tricks for a hobby, but I'm no good at duplication illusions. So you're going to video what you do and try and copy it. I'll be most impressed if you succeed. 
Now, you have an army to fight, a demon to slay, a country to save. So let us begin. So, as I was saying, Joe Cornish is is back um, after his first directorial debut with Attack on the Block. Now, Attack on the Block, a lot of critics when it first came out didn't really give it much praise. Um, but then moving forward, it's, it had a DVD release, it had its at-home release, and people actually started to really love the film. And it's sort of become a bit more of a... What, what do you call it when people start to love films cult, afterwards? Cult, cult classic. Yeah. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and I, I, when I first saw that film, I really, really loved it. And I fell in love with how sci-fi meets a South London mm. sort of gang sort of twist on the film and the, and the genres that combine that. Uh, John Boyoga was it was his first big role in in cinema, and he's gone on to obviously propel into big films like Star Wars and whatnot. Mm. Um, so this film is has been long awaited. People have been really looking forward to what see what Joe Cornish would do next. And he's made a film here that is 100% Joe Cornish. It's a film that he wanted to make. It's had no input from the big distributors. He's basically said, this is my film. And he's unabashedly made something that's for kids, that is... To, to to excite kids, and it really reminded me of films from from my childhood, from like the nineteen nineties. Um, the Page Master was one of them. I don't know if you remember seeing this one, but it had Macaulay Culkin uh, was in it. So it's like a live action film, and then that hit goes into a cartoon, um, and it was a real adventure film, a real page turning classic. Really, it had a real similar feel in that, obviously, but. This film was is, is completely live action with, mm. you know, old school looking special effects, and and I came out of this film really enjoying it. Um, it's a hundred percent a kids' film. We have to look at it at that point of view. It's it's hundred percent British, and it feels very nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties in style in some aspects of mm. it. Um, and it has this also this Harry Potter feel. Um, especially Harry Potter 1 mm. in terms of visual effects. Um, <laughs> but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, mm. I, I enjoyed a lot of the aspects of that on, of this film. Um, he, it's clear that they've had a lot of fun making the film. Um, the kids had a good time. Um, it has some downfalls, but I think it's the downfalls are it's not being able to connect with certain audiences and it it certainly didn't connect with the american audience um it's a it's a british film and i think at the end of the day that's where its target audience is um and it's a very specific british audience that it's targeting um what did you think of the film? i mean i think you made some interesting points there you talk about it being a kids film one of the, one of the main concerns i had with it was well what age group you know, are we saying sort of 8 to 12, 13? Um, because I can't see 15, 16-year-olds really liking it. I don't think there was a lot in there for for adults. Um, and, and like you said, quintessentially British, and it felt very British. Um, and that's reflected, actually... Um, in the in the box office in the states, uh, in its open opening weekend, uh, it took them, it took less than eight million. Uh, and insiders were in fact predicting that this film could potentially lose up to fifty million US dollars. Um, so it certainly didn't do well in in the states. But it, w- what did I think about it? 
I really wanted to like this film. I wanted to go in, and I did go in from more of a, I'm going to the cinema as a cinema goer and not a podcaster. Yeah. And I wanted to like it, but I just couldn't. And there was, there was a few issues with it for me, and one of them was the acting, unfortunately. I found some of it very, very wooden, and I was really aware that I was watching a film, so it felt very much like I was aware when they were like action, cut, and it, it just didn't feel... Right, it felt quite wooden, quite pedestrian, in in the sense that the the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone feels quite wooden, and then obviously they're young childhood actors that do throughout the the Harry Potter series develop their skills, and particularly Emma Watson and um, Rupert Grint have gone on to do some good work, and and Daniel Radcliffe as well, particularly when he was in Equus uh, on on the stage. But I just felt some some of the the, the childhood acting wasn't great, and that isn't necessarily their fault. They are young, and you work around that. Um, that said, I do think that Angus Imre, um, or Angus Imre, I'm not 100% sure how you announce it, was brilliant as um, the young Merlin, and Patrick Stewart as the old Merlin was great as well. But I just felt the script was a little bit pedestrian. So some of the characters were a little bit stereotypical and wooden, particularly the two bad guys, the two bullies. I felt they were very much sort of, you know... Um, out of a can sort of thing. They did feel like they came from Grange Hill. Yes, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I couldn't have put it better myself. I went for a food analogy, you know, sort of like a, open the can and pl- pour it out and you know what you're getting. I didn't think they were great. The film was definitely too long. Um, when I was leaving the cinema screening, a lot of people said, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And the kids were saying I enjoyed it, but it was too long. Uh, it was 120 minutes, which is two hours. I think they could have definitely cut 20 minutes out. And in my notes, actually, I've, I've actually described it as a poor man's Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't like criticising films on this podcast, but I've got to be honest with what I, I feel. And I will go out of the, my way to say that the critics on Rotten Tomatoes have given it 90%. So... Critics loved this film. So if you enjoyed this film, the critics also enjoyed it. For some reason, I didn't. So maybe I look a fool, but I have to say how I felt. No, I don't think you look a fool. I think you've got to be honest. You me? know, the, the audience response was lower at 65%. And that surprises me, actually. I'm surprised that the critics liked this film so much. Because like you said, I thought um, some of the, the narrative wasn't great. Some of the acting was quite wooden. The special effects were very early noughties, um, you know, with these sort of skeleton horses on fire that could be defeated by well their skeletons so just hit them with any sort of heavy object and they, and they break um it was, it was all it just didn't it had the feel of harry potter without the wondrous fantasy element um i think it, i i think you're a bit old for this film i think it's it, <laughs> yeah. no, no seriously no, no, it's, I, it's it's trying to capture the imagination of children it's but mm. it's it's presenting a story that has been told time and time again and it's capturing an audience that hasn't necessarily been told the arthur mm. the arthur story i mean you know the disney um sword in the stone it came out a very long time ago and many children in this era may not have been introduced to that story and i think joe cornish is introducing these kids to to this film in their their own modern way in their mm. own modern story and I think that's where you're slightly missing the point there no. um, and and yes I, I can see yes yeah, some of the kids acting might be slightly wooden but it's it's representing children on the big screen mm. you know these kids are seeing themselves in these kids I think and it's showing them that yes you can do anything that you want to be you can be anybody you want to be and I thought I thought um, Lewis Ashbourne Circus was great. Um, you know, 
people have commented on his dad being who his dad is, Andy mm. Circus. I think completely irrelevant. Um, I think he's as on his own here. I thought he was. A br- it was, he was brilliant this is his first ro- main role um, and I think he did a really great job he looked like he he played all the emotions out as as best as he possibly mm. could like he, he captured the essence of happy sad everything you could possibly do you know um, I, I know there's one aspect of the film that you were a bit upset about actually um, the you know representing the father as an alcoholic which I I completely agree in terms of the way that he's mm. depicted as a bad guy mm. Um, it's not always that one-dimensional or that that path, you know. It, it's not always the bad yeah, guy. Yeah, it, it was just the way they were like, your father, he he battled demons. Yeah, yeah. And the kid's like, yeah, my dad was a superhero. He battled demons. Yeah. No, son, they were alcoholic demons. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah. And, and, and then it was, and he's been missing and we, we don't know where he is and he's vanished. And it was a bit like... I, I don't mind the fact that his father was an alcoholic and, mm. and abandoned him fundamentally. It was just the the implication about he was an alcoholic and abandoned him without really much explanation. It was almost like justifying his that that happening because he was an alcoholic, which yeah, is yeah. which is wrong because many alcoholics find recovery lead very happy and successful lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I just felt that was a bit a bit poor in the way his character was written in there and that could have been done better. I know I have roasted it a little bit, um, but I will say one scene that I thought was fantastic in terms of the special effects was when all of the children are training for battle uh, and they fight these trees um, that Merlin brings to life and these trees start to move and, and train them to use to sword fight. And that had, had a very Harry Potter feel, but that was actually done quite well. Um, for me, though, I want to go back to the the greatest portrayal of of this brilliant story, which is Monty Python, um, <laughs> and just say that I totally agree with the with with the with the saying with the statement that strange women lying around in ponds distributing swords is no basis for any system of government, and I totally agree with that. I I, I love Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I think it's brilliant. Um, and for me, I'm I'm sorry, I just did not. Like this film, Craig suddenly pulled a strange face. Yeah, I was just uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Is that really a depiction of Arthur and the Sword and the Stone and Knights yes. of the Rhine Table? Is it? Yes. I thought really. Yes. Is it? I thought it was about obviously the Holy Grail, which is the Grail. I, I thought that was the story of the knights going in search of the Holy Grail, and that was it. It wasn't about Arthur, was it? Well, he is King Arthur, isn't he? I don't know. I didn't realize Pretty Arthur. Sure. I, I didn't realize Arthur was part of it. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table embark on a surreal, low-budget search for the Holy Grail. <laughs> I <laughs> told you. Many... I haven't seen this film in years and didn't even realise it was Arthur. No, yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love this. So my, my, my co-presenter looks at me with a, a look of absolute disgust and horror, no, no, no. tries to disprove me, <laughs> goes on Google and then finds out that I was in fact right. I was Google. just quoting that... Um, Strange women lying around in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government, <laughs> and which is true. It's Look, true. True story. Um, not for me, I'm afraid. Okay. Well, this was for me. Go on, ask me the question. I'm going to ask you the question, Craig, and then you can throw it back at me. Craig, the, 
the boy who would be king, I keep saying it wrong, the boy who would be king, is it worth it? Yes, I think this is definitely worth going to see on the big screen um, f- for me and and for a lot of children as well who have those overactive uh, immune si- immune systems, overactive <laughs> imagination. Overactive, what is wrong with you? I don't know. Overactive immune <laughs> well, systems. I mean, that is what I have. But um, over, <laughs> overactive imaginations, children who, who see themselves playing knights um you know this is the film for them and and i i I thoroughly enjoyed seeing this film definitely uh david did is it worth it for you um no no (laughs) for for me it's not worth it but that's for me look this has got a good critical reception 90 percent of the critics like it Uh, i know a lot of other people that have seen it including craig that enjoyed it and yeah you know, I think if you're going to see this film, go and see it in the cinema. It's a film that I didn't enjoy. It's a film that I wouldn't personally recommend. But if you do want to see it, uh, it's the kind of film that needs to be seen on the big screen. And that was our review of The Kid Who Would Be King. It's now time for our third review on this week's show, and we will be looking at Instant Family. So, what is this film about? Well, when Pete, Mark Wahlberg, and Ellie, Rose Byrne, decide to start a family, they stumble into the world of foster care adoption. Both moved to tears by the adorable faces they see on an adoption website, they decide to take action and adopt a child. However, things don't go as smoothly as planned when they find out that the rebellious 15-year-old girl they wish to adopt comes with two younger siblings siblings. Uh, These three children have come from a difficult place and Pete and Ellie soon learn the hard way that adoption is not easy, especially when you take on the challenge of three children. Before we dive into our full review, let's have a little listen to a clip. Okay, tuck in everybody. Where's my potato chips? Oh, we're not having chips tonight, Munchkin, sorry. I want my chips. Let's try some of this meatloaf, okay? No! I want my chips! Not having chips. You sure you don't want to just give her some chips? No, we're not giving her chips. Lead us right there. Oh my God. Okay. Watch your feet, Brace. okay? Brace me. Brace me. Brace me. Brace me. Okay, you give those to me. Give me. Calm oh. down. Don't oh. cry. Oh. I'll oh. get it. Oh. Just stay there, Mark. Oh. Oh. God. Oh my God, you okay? Oh. God. What up? What's that noise? Why is she growling? That wasn't in the classes. I got nothing for that. She's got a knife. It's just a sponge pot. It's still a knife. So the film is directed by Sean Anders. Now, Sean Anders is uh, drawing on his own experience of adopting three siblings. And I think that's why this film, in my opinion, works so well. Um, He's experienced these things in real life. Uh, There's truth in the drama. There's truth in the humor. And it ends up being uh, a bit of a winning combination in that sense. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed this film. And it's it's something I describe as a dramedy. Um, it's it's <laughs> drama, it's comedy, and it's it's all rolled into one. And the emotional moments are really, really hard hitting, and the the comedy moments are are actually very, very humorous as well. And there are certain parts that do fall a little bit on on um, uh, bad times where you're thinking, "Oh, maybe that wasn't 
quite so funny. But a, a majority of the film is very enjoyable. And before I went into this film, I thought it could have been a bit of a shambles, actually. Mm. I, it could have been one of those Mark Wahlberg films that I really didn't like. And actually, Mark Wahlberg is playing a, a, a really great role in this in this film. Um, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree, Craig. There was some brilliant... In- you know, humour in this. And when I say brilliant humour, I'm talking about laugh out loud humour. Um, but you're, at the same time, some of it falls flat and you forgive that because, you know, if, if 60, 70% of the jokes are landing and they're good jokes, obviously you're not going to get all of them. But it wasn't just me that thought some of it fell flat. I was in quite a good audience where there was a lot of laughter mm. and there were a few comedy moments that were clearly supposed to be funny that did um, did fall flat. And like you said, it's a juggling act and it does have somewhat of an uneven narrative. So the, the basic aim of the film is to keep the cinema goers entertained, but at the same time, make them think about some really quite serious matters, you know, adoption, uh, and obviously their three Hispanic children as well, which brings in the idea of inclusivity and, um, it's quite relevant at the moment with what's going on with, with Trump's America on the wall and how people view uh, Hispanics in the States. So it, it, it's, it's, it's really good in that sense. And it manages to balance the drama and the comedy. Both are very, very uh, effective. You know, it is tonally a little bit messy as it does bounce um, between those two genres. But really, it's the acting that holds it together. I think Mark Wahlberg is great in this film. Uh, Rose Byrne is also really brilliant. She's warm, she's funny, and she's desperate to be liked. Mm. And both of them work really well on screen together. Uh, and Isabella Mona, who is the 15-year-old girl, she she's superb in this. Uh, and I think she's a real uh, future star, one to look out for. And the family is great. All three of the children are superb. And actually what I think this film has that um, the boy who would be king didn't have was three brilliant children, uh, actors and actresses in this film that give great performances, uh, both the two females and and the young lad as well. I think they're really, really good. Definitely uh, future stars. It reminded me a lot of when I saw uh, Abigail Breslin at a very young age on screen and I said, she's going to be a top, top Hollywood star, and and she's gone on to do just that. You know, I think the family is great, and that's really what holds this film together. One of its downfalls, though, I think, is some of the -the over-the-top characters that it has outside of the family. So the family feels very balanced, very believable, and I think the director's drawn on his own life experience there. Mm. But some of the other characters... um, just a little bit over the top. So when they go to the adoption agency, you've got this Christian couple. And again, they're very stereotypical and very, very Christian. Yes. You know, where it's like, yeah. um, h- how's adoption going to be for you? Well, adoption's going to be fine because we have the support of Jesus. And then there's a, a gay couple that are very over the top. And it's like, so they take two stereotypical, a gay couple, a Christian couple, and they give you the most stereotypical over the top versions of those characters. And I think that, isn't necessarily necessary. It's a little bit too much. Um, but overall, it's it's a really difficult film to criticise because it goes from serious drama to hilarious comedy and it fluctuates between them, not perfectly, and there are very few films that can do that perfectly, but it does it really, really well. And it was just a film that I really enjoyed. When I saw the trailer, I thought it looked bad. Yeah, yeah I yeah. thought it was going to be, you know, typical sort of feel-good family comedy that 
didn't make you feel good or laugh, whereas actually it manages to do both. Yeah, it really does manage to raise awareness of the fact that there are so many children in the, in the world that need a home mm. and need adopting or fostering. And in a world where we are stupidly overpopulated, um, you know, and, and, and we continue to breed like rabbits in, in this world, that <laughs> there are children out there who need these mm. homes. And it does that without really having to say that in in so many words it it does it by you know having a, a, a small time small town american family becoming a family by adopting and yeah. and um raises that awareness in that way and and i really thought that was great and it really there were moments where i felt like i was there was a tear about to happen and um, there were moments where i was really laughing out loud as well and for a film to manage to do that is is all right in my book i think i think the heart its heart is in completely in the, it's in the right place yeah um and uh, and, and a really great film and like you said it it manages to to, to touch on those issues because let's be honest adoption is difficult it's difficult for the family who's adopting it's difficult for the kids who are being adopted and don't forget as well which this the, this film touches upon it's also difficult for the person who's the um actual birth mother to yeah, the, the biological to the mother, biological yeah. mother. Yeah. it's it's difficult for them they're often unable to support their children and for example the woman in this film who has a, a problem with drink and drugs and ends up in prison etc and it somehow manages to work it goes like I said. It's, some of it's a little bit over the top. There's one particular scene where the police are involved, and the plot is very believable throughout the whole film. And and just at that point, it goes off a bit. Yes, and it gets a little bit ridiculous. And the actions of Mark Wahlberg and um and his his wife in the film are a little bit OTT again. Um, and it feels a little bit forced. But overall, you've got all the ingredients here for a disaster. You know, it would be very easy to take this idea and make something terrible. I thought you can do another food of that. Um, <laughs> no, but actually, they they bring it all together in a in a really satisfying way that I think is that one of the perfect examples of a feel good film that you can go and see all ages, really. You know, including teenagers. I th I think they'll love it. So, Craig, um, unless you have any further points, he's shaking his head. I'm going to ask you the question: Instant Family, is it worth it? Yes, this is definitely worth seeing in the cinema. Uh, it's got the feel-good factor. You'll come out definitely feeling uh, more positive uh, with the human race and uh, you'll come out upset but also incredibly happy because you laughed and, and somewhat maybe cried a mm -hmm. little bit. Um, so, yeah, definitely worth going to see in the big, big uh, screen or in the cinema. There we go. Uh, David, Instant Family, is it worth it for you? Yes, uh, totally agree with everything you've said. Uh, I was really surprised by this film. I was expecting it to be quite bad, but actually I really, really enjoyed it. Um, very moving, very funny, very much worth seeing. You're listening to Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. We would like to recommend Watford's brand new state-of-the-art Cineworld. Cineworld Watford puts audiences at the heart of the movie experience. It boasts nine state-of-the-art screens, all which deliver crystal-clear projection and powerful surround sound. The cinema also has a special IMAX with laser projection. And finally, Screen X is the world's first multi-projection theatre technology that provides moviegoers with a 270-degree panoramic viewing experience by expanding the screen onto the side walls of the auditorium. This tech is exclusive to Cineworld in the UK. As well as this, enjoy Cineworld's usual wide variety of snacks and drinks or have a coffee in the brand new downstairs Starbucks. So uh, make sure you check out Cineworld Waffle.
So earlier in the week, we caught up with Ranjit Nanra, who is a manager at Cineworld Hemel Hempstead. He's also had a history of working uh, within the film industry. Uh, he's a really nice guy, and uh, we caught up with him to chat all things film. And this is our interview of the week this week. So we'd like to welcome to the show Ranjit. Ranjit works at Cineworld Hemel Hempstead. Um, how long have you worked for Cineworld? About four and a half years now. About four and a half years. Well, we, every time we come to the cinema, we always end up having a, a chat yeah. about cinema and films and Netflix and, yeah. and whatnot. You guys are good distractors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we thought it'd be a really good idea just to sit down and do a proper interview and, mm. and talk about everything from behind the scenes to what films that you enjoy, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I'd like to kick off with, with learning a little bit about how the projectionist has evolved over time because um, you've got a bit of back history here and, and sort of an understanding about where it's gone from 35 millimeter to, to digital. Yeah, so since I've been at Cineworld, it's only, I've only had experience with digital projectors. So I think Cineworld has been fully digital for about 10 years or so. Um, and from my understanding of what I've you know spoken to other people who've used film, um, you know, back in the day, it was 35 millimeter. You'd have to link it all together, make sure it all runs smoothly. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot more cost involved in the transport of it and the production of it and everything. But um, nowadays, it's just they send us over a hard drive, um, you know, very like encrypted hard drive and everything, mm. um, which we ingest into our main server. Um, it's a bit like, like I think the best way to describe it is a bit like iCloud. You send it over to that, and then from that point, you can send it to whatever screen you want. So even though we get the film, we can't immediately play it into IMAX. We have to send it over to IMAX first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's a very intuitive system. It can pick up a lot of issues before before the film gets played. So we can try and solve things before, you know, before it happens. But um, yeah, nowadays it's just, it's just all digital. So you just turn everything on in the morning um, and hope for the best and hope it just all runs smoothly. So when the, when the hard drives come, do they have names of what the films are on them or are they really like code names and stuff? I would say mostly they are named what the films are, but then you do get the odd film that is um, codenamed. I think the best one I've seen is uh, Dumb and Dumb and 2 was codenamed Rocket Science, <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> funny. But um, yeah, so yeah, the odd film will be codenamed um, just for, I don't know, for security purposes, I reckon, but um, yeah. I was going to say, when they arrive, do they arrive like the money does when it comes to the bank? Is it in a, is it in a briefcase which is handcuffed to a to a security <laughs> guard to make sure that no one uh, no one steals them? No, that's just Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, blimey. Yeah. Uh, if you could get hold of of imagine if you could get hold of Avengers Endgame now. Oh. And and, yeah. and get it out. The the value that would be in that. Mm. Yeah. It'd be absolutely crazy. Yeah. So when, when do they come in? Do they come in like a week before? Or? Um. Again, it depends on the distributors. So, like I said, Star Wars or Avengers, because they're such high profile, massive films, they will literally be like the day before mm. um, or on the day of um, if we have like a midnight show in the evening. Um, but you can't, you, you get the film, but the, the, you can't play it straight away because then Disney or whoever's in charge will send over the keys which unlock the film. So um, when you say keys, is it like an encryption digi- key, yeah, like it's a, a digi- USB stick digital or something? Digital file, um, and which unlocks the hard drive. So uh, it's just like an extra layer of security which yeah. they have to put into their so film. It's a so. big st- uh, step away from 35mm mm. film Massive from where step, yeah. they're on the reels and you have what one projectionist, maybe two projectionists um, working on, on those or is it just quite yeah, a few? Yeah, one, one projectionist who just uh, make sure that everything's all green for the week. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's a shame. I would have liked to have experienced the thirty-five millimeter mm. um, projection. It sounds it sounds quite interesting, but um, yeah. From what we we were talking to another one of your colleagues earlier, yeah. and he was saying how he would have to link them together, and he had like what twenty seconds to try and fix things, yeah. fix things, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and to yeah. turn them back over and and relink them back up, and and to, yeah, it sounds absolutely insane. Yeah, I was talking to one of our. Um, engineers who used to be a projectionist and he was just saying that like you get a real sense of pride afterwards you know making sure your shows run smoothly because mm-hmm. you've had to you would have had to manually make sure the lights go up and down that like, all of that was all done by you by the projectionist so it's like a performance almost. yeah yeah so but you mm-hmm. nowadays it's just all programmed into the playlist and everything does it by itself um, but like i said it's a very intuitive system so it, you know it's, it's really good it helps us out a lot but um, i would have liked to experience that yeah. it would have been quite cool on that note, I was going to ask you, have you seen Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious? Yes. Um, I just, just when you were talking about the projectionist, it makes me think of yeah. that scene <laughs> where the, the projectionist is yeah. there. Obviously, there's there's yeah. gunfire. But then, was it that flammable? The old... The, the, the celluloid film, yeah, yeah. definitely. Would have been have, that. Yeah, is, and is that one it. of the reasons that it was eventually launched, just because it was just too hazardous? Or was it just... I think there's a, there's a lot of factors. It's the cost of actually moving the print around and mm. um it's you know it's, it's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of money value to because it. You, you i mean you were putting a lot of trust in the projections yeah. not to just change the reels well, and yeah, yeah, in exactly. the middle of harry potter just yeah. put you know scarface on and watch people be absolutely horrified yeah. say a lot to my little friend you know <laughs> in the middle of harry potter but yeah the digital age i suppose yeah, this is where we've gone. I mean, it's a big, it's a big issue in Hollywood. There's people like Quentin Tarantino mm. and Christopher Nolan who are championing film. Yeah, but I personally don't think it should. I don't think it should be around anymore. It's just, it's just a massive hassle. It's, mm. it's, a, it's a big risk. You know, anything could happen to a film print, but then mm. you get a hard drive, and it's hard. Not much can happen to it. So, mm. yeah. So with IMAX, yeah, obviously. Te- most of the filmmakers shoot on IMAX, yeah. like Christopher Nolan. They're yeah, shooting yeah. on film. It's seventy-seven millimeter. Yeah. How does that come to you in the end? Is it digital as well? Yes. So even though they, even though films are shot on film, they still get uh, converted into digital files. Um, so same with IMAX. Um, so it gets shot on the 75mm film, like you said, and it's trans- transferred into a digital file, uh, which gets sent to us. And the same process, we just upload it to our system and send it over to IMAX. So what's the difference between an IMAX projector versus a, a standard projector? So with IMAX, you're getting the full picture so there's nothing going to be cut out you get a full screen it's a curved screen so you get um, as much detail as possible um, you get in the state of the art speakers as well um, IMAX is very selective of the films that they put into their screens yep. so like you said it has to be filmed in IMAX or they can or they'll convert it themselves to IMAX um, mm-hmm. so it's just yeah it's just a very they're very selective what they what they want in their in their screens because it's such an immersive experience the sound is unreal it's, mm. it I, would, I, I personally believe IMAX 2D is the best way to watch a film. Mm. So it is, it's just stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, we completely agree. I mean, there's certain films, especially with the visual effects and yeah. stuff, has to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Yeah, yeah. We say that a lot of times about things like Alita Battle Angel we yeah. said last week. Yeah, um, it truly is. Just a, It's just a different experience. Like, it's completely different. I saw, I saw Dunkirk in a standard screen mm. and I saw Dunkirk in IMAX and it felt like I watched two different films. Mm. Mm. It's just unbelievable. I mean, we've spoke a lot on the podcast about 3D. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan of 3D films at all. But that said, we went to Watford Cineworld's new IMAX and yeah. saw Aquaman yeah. in IMAX 3D. And actually, it's the probably one of the first films I've seen that I thought, do you know what, I would recommend seeing this in 3D? Yeah. Mm. Particularly on that IMAX screen, like you said, with that curve yeah. and the three dimension. It was bizarre because I almost lost the scale of the screen because I genuinely felt like I was in the film. Um, and 
it worked and yeah. I think 3D is often really gimmicky but for Aquaman I really like mm. the 3D yeah I completely agree I think IMAX 3D is the best form of 3D that you can mm. you can possibly watch a film and I saw Alita there the other day in uh, Watford's uh, laser IMAX mm. and um, it's just it was just stunning it was, mm. and you, you're right you forget how big the screen is yeah. until someone walks past to yeah, go to the yeah, toilet like an and it's, yeah, it's crazy it's, it's massive yeah so what's the difference between um, laser IMAX and so this, this is a new type of IMAX technology. Yeah, so Watford have Cineworld Laser IMAX, um, which is uh, new to Cineworld. So their most IMAX uh, screens run off two projectors, but they have one projector with two lenses. So the lenses are sort of angled to produce one image onto the screen. Right. So double the lens means double the uh, pixels and quality. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so they have a state-of-the-art laser IMAX, which just means much more brighter colors and more uh, detail, Much it's a lot more vivid and just uh, it's the it's the future of projection. They have a complete laser um, system that every every projector over there is laser. So, yeah, state of the art stuff. So, in terms of sound, then Dolby Atmos is yeah. the top of the range yes. sound technology. Can you give us a bit of a synopsis as to sure. what Dolby Atmos is? So, we have here at Sydney World Hempstead, we have SuperScreen, which runs off a Dolby Atmos uh, sound system. So, you have twenty seven amplifiers in that screen. Dolby Atmos is unique because it produces a sort of 360 sound. So you can feel the, the, the movements around you and like, you know, say like a bullet goes flying across, you'll see, you'll feel it go around you. It's a really, Dolby have mastered um, th- that sort of sound technology because, you know, they're, they're best at it, it's Dolby. And mm. um, so Dolby Atmos really is the future of uh, when it comes to sound. Um, now it's become a lot more commercial. You can get it in your homes now and like there's, you can get Dolby sound bars and Dolby sound systems in Dolby headphones and uh, Dolby Atmos headphones. Sorry. So Atmos is, yeah, Atmos is really, really up the game and yeah, they're producing great quality. Say, don't, don't tell Craig this. He has a yeah. habit of buying expensive tech. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, yeah. So next, next on my shopping list, yeah. Dolby Atmos technology. Oh, could you imagine in your bedroom, Dolby Atmos sound? I mean, I have surround sound in there, but Dolby Atmos, Christ, yeah, it would, would be, be unbelievable. It would I'm, be um, unique. I've been lucky enough that my friend has a Dolby Atmos soundbar and it's unbelievable. It's, it's, but it's for true. something that's just a, a soundbar sound in front of you. Yeah, it's just a soundbar and just the sound quality. Interest, how, how much are they? Oh, you're looking at grand. Like, yeah, a couple grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> many, many yeah. bucks. Yeah. Um, so in terms of cinema, yeah. what made you want to come and work at the cinema? Well, Cineworld... Uh, my local senior world was pretty much my second home. Um, you know, Welcome go to there. the club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, yeah. on the weekends is where I'd spend most of my time. Um, just, I think I've always been interested in film. I've always had, always, always had a passion for film. Um, and just, like I said, it's my second home. So I, when I left school, I was just looking around for jobs and I saw senior world. I was looking for an apprenticeship and I saw that senior world had an apprenticeship to offer. And it was the first year they'd ever done it. So I was one of the first people to do it with senior world. Um, so I applied for it and then I got it and then, yeah, I've been there for the last four years. So it's been great. So you're, you're one of the first people to ever do the apprenticeship. With, yeah, with yeah. yeah. And this is something that they're continuing to do now. And- yeah. There's a few sites still doing it. Um, I was part of the first wave. So, um, I was lucky enough. I was actually nominated to represent Sydney World at 10 Downing Street during national apprenticeship week. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I met, um, George Osborne there and yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. Um, representing Cineworld there so did, did you did you find out what George's favorite film was or was, it, or was it all very much budget did he just run off with his little red briefcase pretty much yeah, oh, yeah. what a shame <laughs> yeah but um yeah so went for the apprenticeship I got the apprenticeship and then yeah I've been here uh, the apprenticeship was really good because it got me 
I was more than just a team member. I, I got to learn the behind the scenes aspects of the city world and how it all runs, like, you know, uh, from the office and stuff. And I learned, got to learn more about just my normal role. And uh, it was really good. It was really beneficial for me. So, yeah. So currently your your position here, what are you in charge of? So I'm the I'm a cinema manager here. I'm one of uh, four. Um, and uh, my... My specific role is to, I'm in charge of like the health and safety aspects of the building and everything, making sure we're all compliant. We all have our own specific roles, which changes every now and then. Um, but then again, overall, I'm just in charge of making sure that when it's my shift, I'm just making sure that, you know, all customers are having the best experience possible and everyone's happy and everything's running smoothly and, you know, everything's going well. Yeah. Um, what would you say your earliest memory of going to the cinema is? Like, can you actually remember going to the cinema, mm. seeing a certain film, anything happening in the cinema that you were found you found quite funny? Or, I think I think that for some reason the first film I think I saw in the cinema was Iron Giant, and I loved it. And I just remember just being transported like in this dark screen as a kid, and just like just wasn't really on the short like wasn't really sure what was going on mm. and uh yeah it's just that's why i think cinema is just so important and the art form is just so important because that screen could just take you anywhere mm. for you know for the next couple of hours you're somewhere else and you're just transported to this magical place and i think it's one of the one of the few art forms that can sort of transcend like language barriers and stuff you know you can mm. be in a room with people from all over the world and just say star wars and Pretty sure you can you can get some sort of conversation out of them, but um, yeah, yeah, he's right. Yeah, unless you were talking to me, and I wouldn't be able to do anything. Yeah, yeah that's fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, it's, it's it, film is just so important. It, it can be so informative. It can just provide you with a bit of escapism. You know, it's it, it's it's an amazing. It's, it, I'm, just, I'm just so passionate about it, and I'm I'm really glad that I'm working in the industry where I can provide that same experience for other people. And yeah, okay, so. In your cinema going career, yeah, what would you say has been your your favourite film that you've seen in the cinema? Oh, hard one. I know that is a hard one. Yeah, I probably have to say Star Wars: The Force Awakens, purely for the the event experience it was, because you know it was the first Star Wars after the prequels, and I just remember like just being so hyped up for it, and you know the cinema was the busiest I've ever seen it at that point. Mm. And, you know, we did like midnight showings and stuff and it was just so busy and it was just, it was just amazing. Like it was just, everyone was just there for that reason alone. It's just a really communal experience, which, mm. you know, cinema audiences haven't experienced since the Revenge of the Sith, which is what, about 20 years, mm. Well, mm. a bit less than that. But, um, you know, yeah, I think it would have to be Star Wars Force Awakens purely because of the, the experience in that screen because mm. we had a, a staff showing of it. So it was oh, just, wow. just us in there and it was just, it was amazing and, yeah, I think it'd have to be Force Awakens, yeah. Did you dress up? No, I didn't dress up. No. <laughs> did anyone no. dress up? Yeah, quite a few of the customers did, a few staff members did. So yeah, yeah, we, I, we often do that, yeah. I was going to say, do you think, are you expecting a similar sort of feel for Avengers Endgame? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I think that's what I'm looking forward to most this year. Mm. Um, I'm a comic book nerd, you know, I'm still reading comic yeah. books to this day. Um, it frustrates me a bit that Marvel's mm. doing better than DC because I'm a DC guy. Superman, oh, really? Yeah, Superman's my favorite character. But... Um, I really want to see how Endgame plays out. Mm. And, you know, I'm just so invested in that world. I really want to see how it works. I mean, I've, I've just been so amazed at how well Marvel has done over the yeah. past five years or so. Because not that long ago, if you you know, if you know were going to see a, a superhero film, I'm thinking of when uh, Tobey Maguire was in Spider-Man, one of my favourite um, films, actually. I love Tobey Maguire. Sort of a superhero film was still considered a bit niche, a little bit yeah. geeky. Yeah. But now everyone and anyone yeah. wants to see exactly. Marvel and 
Endgame is. I mean, it broke the record, didn't it, on YouTube? Yeah. yeah. For the most views in, in, like, in a matter of minutes, it had millions and millions yeah. of views. As in the trailer, you mean? Yeah. 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 As yeah, in the yeah. trailer. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Apologies. Yeah. Not obviously not the, the, the pirate copy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you shouldn't be doing that. But, uh, no, the, the trailer. Yeah, you really shouldn't. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, hopefully, I'm going to wangle my way into some sort of preview screening. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so I can yeah. see it early. What, what? <laughs> Craig's face lit up. Is that, is that what? Um, but can, what? Can you not release the the info yet, or do you know? Or oh no, not? we don't know yet. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Disney are very strict on that sort of stuff, so there probably won't be a preview showing for us either. But what um, really fascinates me about what Marvel have done is how they've made people like Iron Man and Captain America like household names. Mm. Like you would think that you know DC have Superman and Batman, the two most well-known superheroes in the world. Mm. Like you know, my parents know who they are, but they don't know who Iron Man or Captain America are. But now they do because of the, the success of the films and how yep. how much of a reach they have is it's insane. They've done an, an absolutely amazing job in, in incorporating yeah. these characters together and cross over into different films. I yeah. think. People love to see their favourite character in other films yeah. popping up. Yeah, definitely. And they've yeah. done very well with that. And DC tried to do that. Yeah, they, they jumped the gun a bit. They, they, they sort of forced their Batman into Batman v Superman. and Which was a disaster, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was, yeah. Um, funny story about that. I met Zack Snyder the day before I saw the film, and I'm glad I did. because You would have been very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I would have had a few words to say to him afterwards. Because, yeah, I've never felt... That, that's another memorable experience for me. I've never felt that angry walking out of a film as I did walking out of Batman v Superman. Like I said, I'm a diehard Superman fan and I just felt that, that was that was just awful. But he did such a good job on the first Zack Snyder um, film yeah. of Superman. Yeah, and Man I thought, of Steel, yeah. Oh, I'd love to see how, yeah. where this goes. Yeah. Um, and they didn't, they were supposed to do a sequel. Yeah. But they did the Batman versus Superman. Yeah. And they just jumped straight into that. Yeah. Just... I think the first mistake they made was bringing back Zack Snyder because Man of Steel was so divisive I think they should have looked at that and gone ahead with someone else to maybe yeah. maybe bridge that gap a bit and make it a bit more of a well-rounded film yeah. but for some reason they kept Zack Snyder and then they kept him again for Justice League so mm. yeah we'll um, you did tell me that you've worked on some film sets yeah so um, after school when I was like applying around for stuff I um, uh, I got in touch with a producer who worked on um, um, a film called The Two Faces of January um, it's not a very well-known film. It's quite a small film, but it stars Viggo Mortensen, Oscar Isaac, and Kirsten Dunst, which yep. I met all three, um, which was amazing because, like, you know, I grew up watching the Spider-Man films and I'm seeing Mary Jane in front of me and I grew up watching Lord <laughs> of the Rings and I'm seeing Aragorn in front of me. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah, I was it about was, to say that. It yeah. was so surreal, yeah. Mm. And... Um, I remember having to bring him over some lunch and my knees were just shaking. Like I was about to fall, fall over. <laughs> it was crazy. flying yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so working on that film was amazing. Um, I got to be on set for principal photography and then they called me back later on when they were finishing up. So I got to watch how they do like pickups and just like mm. saw different bits of, um, different, bits of the part, different parts of the film being uh, filmed. And yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, it was, good. It was really good for I was, I was just going to say, Craig, did, did you know that I've also been on a film set? No. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm not going to say which film it was because I can't Did actually remember. Did you cause chaos on it? Is well, that yes. Um, <laughs> I, I can't actually remember the name of it. It was a football hooligan film. Uh, right. And I was actually thrown off the set. Um, which pretty much sums up how wow. you did tell me about this. <laughs> you I'm... caused so much chaos. They asked you to cause chaos, didn't they? Yeah. So basically they were like, we're making a football hooligan film. We want you to behave like hooligans. And their idea of hooliganism in mine was somewhat different because, oh, you can't say that or you can't behave like that. Um, but the reason I actually got thrown off the set was having not, they wouldn't allow me to play a football hooligan. They then gave me the role of police officer. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm in the police office and the direction was, is when this uh, other police officer walks out the office, I've got to look over towards him, give him the finger and swear at him. So I did that, but the director was filming it from an angle so that when I looked over to the door, I looked straight down the barrel of the camera and stuck my finger up and swore <laughs> at the camera, which is really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, and he then threw me off the set and we had a massive argument. The good thing is, is the film was terrible and got an awful rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So, um, <laughs> so you won't name it then? Uh, uh, do you have a credit he, on it? Uh, or did you not no, end up being on no. the film? Uh, the Hooligan Factory by Chris Nevin, I think was the director. But it's called The Hooligan Factory. You can actually see me in it a couple of times, which is quite funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know why you haven't mentioned that in the whole entire year of doing this podcast. No, haven't I haven't. And that. also, actually, in a few weeks, I may be bringing some other news because I might be auditioning for a film, um, which is quite exciting. Yeah, okay. I'm looking forward to nice. finding out a bit more. Sorry to that. hijack the interview. But, no, that's uh, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Trivia with David Locke. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I know David had a question that he really wants to ask you about Roma. Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I was, <laughs> that one. So I know you're a Roma fan, big yeah. Roma fan. Alfonso Cuaron directs it. He also directed Gravity, which the Academy loved back in 2013, I think, off the top of my yeah. head. I still can't get to grips with Roma. Um, I wanted to see it again before doing this interview, but I haven't been able to do it. Yeah. But from what I remember, I, I really struggled with it. Not with... Caron's direction uh, and the cinematography, which I think is great, but I couldn't get into the story. Being in black and white, I just found it really cold. Just persuade me and tell our listeners why it's a good <laughs> film and, and also why, because we talked about it. Oh, yeah. do you think it is a Best Picture winner? I do think it is a Best Picture. I think it deserves the Best Picture win. I think it's, I think for me, I found it, I just found it very personal. Mm. I think, um, I think Alfonso Caron has done a great job in that film of representing what, 1970s Mexico was for him mm. uh, growing up um, I just like I can understand you saying you felt a bit cold and detached from it but I, I don't know I, I, for me I find it quite intimate and quite uh, personal just from like the, the story of the um, the the nanny and like just how you know how her life is affected by you know the people around her and Roma in general like you know the, the place and yeah I, I just I just I was just engaged from start to finish I just I loved it and mm. I mean, for me, there was a, again, I'm not going to give any spoilers away. There's a 25 yeah. minute um, chunk of the film yeah. uh, surrounding childbirth. Yeah, that's all yeah. I'll say. And that was captivating. Yeah. And that really sucked me in. I thought the yeah. acting was brilliant. I thought it was beautifully shot. And I literally thought, yes, if you can keep that up to yeah. the end of the film, I'm on to a winner. But after that scene, I felt it dropped away again. Um, so for me, there was 30 minutes of genius. And yeah. for me, it just felt like it should have been a short film because it is okay. very much an yeah, Alfonso yeah. Cuaron um, piece. I found out today he he's obviously directs. I think he wrote it. He's yeah. involved in the cinematography. Yeah, he was the cinematographer um, on it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And this, this is why ultimately the Academy Awards, I'm still not convinced it will win Best Picture because he's literally going to be on the stage so much. Yeah. <laughs> very if you think well, about it. If they give him airtime. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so no, I mean, we, me and Craig need to revisit it. Yeah. Um, but no, thanks for that. I, yeah. I, I, I think for me, the scene that really, I can't, I will never forget is, I'm not going to say what it is, but the, the final scene, mm. um, it, it takes place on a beach. Yes. It's just devastating. And it's just mm. so, so well acted. And that scene for me, I'll, I'll never forget. And it's just, mm. I think f for that scene alone, it's just worth, worth the watch. Mm. But um, yeah, especially the scene that you said as well. Those mm. two scenes, it's just, they do stand out in that film. But yeah. yeah. 
I mean, it's just the pace at the start. I don't know what you thought, Craig. I, uh, I just called you Craig. Uh, <laughs> how casual. You've done that a few times. Don't it shows worry. how casual this is. Um, I just couldn't. It, I just couldn't get into it early doors. But yeah, no, same. We've yeah, both said we need to yeah. revisit it. Yeah, it needs to. You need to have all your phones off. You need yeah, to have absolutely. zero distractions yeah. and make it almost like a cinema experience. Mm. Um, and I think by having it on Netflix, it's detracted, I think, a lot of people's viewing experience. Yeah. It needs to be seen mm. in the cinema, I think. Yeah. Uh, and and I I would like to see it in the cinema and I hope after, if it wins Best Picture at the Oscars, that they yeah. end up putting it in the cinema for people to see. And I think that they might end up doing that. Yeah, possibly, yeah. They, I, I, I would so. love to see it in the yeah. cinema. And I think the problem Roma has as well is it's still not a, fo- a film that is particularly well known. Uh, I, saw, yeah. I saw a poll today uh a, a company interviewed 3,000 cinema goers and they said, here's the eight uh, Best Picture nominees. Who 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 do you want to win? And the overwhelming, well, not overwhelming, but the majority of people said Black Panther. Yeah. And actually only 7% of people said Roma. Yeah. Um, which I think reflects that it's something that I'd like to see in the cinema. Steven Spielberg's a big uh, advocate for being very anti-Netflix yeah. and pro-film and pro-cinema. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Craig's right, I'd, I'd love to see it on the big screen because I think it would be more effective. Mm. So, week 30. Yeah. We, we are, we're looking at, on the basis of sex, instant family, the kid who would be king, a private war and happy death they see you. Yeah. Which of those films have you seen? I saw Instant Family. And what did you think? I was surprised at how much I liked it. I thought Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne had great chemistry. Um, it was actually really funny. There's a flashback scene at the start, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> which one you mean, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, and I love the, there's a bit at the end with a curious neighbor, which I think really hits well. And I, yeah. I thought that was really funny. But um, yeah, um, I thought it was charming. I thought everyone was great. Um, I don't know the teenage girl's real name, but uh, she was great in the film. She, she played that role really well. Mm. And I think, um, yeah, I just thought it had a really nice charm to it. And the chemistry was great. And really enjoyed it and I, the director was uh, it's directed by Sean Anders who hasn't done good stuff in the past like Daddy's Home and Daddy's Home 2 and That's mm. My Boy which aren't which aren't the best of films yeah, so yeah. like I said I was surprised at how much I actually really liked it yeah, I think um, we're exactly the same in, yeah. in that regard though. I went in with zero expectations yeah. and came out with a, a great emotional pull yeah. and I was I laughed I cried nearly at some yeah. points and you know and I was not expecting that from yeah. this film from the trailers when we when we watched the trailers I didn't expect and it to be like you that. never know what Mark Wahlberg you're going to get you could get the yeah. happening Mark Wahlberg or you can get like this Mark Wahlberg he's brilliant in this film like, yeah I agree yeah it's, it's really good I really enjoyed it so yeah. Ranjit yeah Instant Family is it worth it absolutely it is worth it it's Funny, it's charming, emotional. Um, you'll have a great time. Like it's a family film. It's a feel-good film. I would definitely recommend it. It is worth it. Excellent. Um, any other questions that you'd like to ask, David, before we say goodbye? Yes. Um, I'm going to go for. I want to know your favourite film of all time. Ooh. Um, so you obviously t- spoke about one of the Star Wars earlier, yeah. seeing it in the cinema. But just your favourite film of all time. If an alien visited this good yeah. Earth. And said, I want to know what to watch in the cinema. Or DVD, DVD. Other than recommending the alien listen to our podcast. <laughs> or visiting Cine World Home Hampstead. Of course. What, what would you say? What is your favourite film of all time? I'm sure I've told you before. Mine's Titanic. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to know yours. Mine is, and I believe it's the best film ever made, Jurassic Park. Oh. That, that film changed my life. Yeah. That That is the film that sparked my passion for film. Um 
Steven Spielberg, in my opinion, is the best director of all time. Mm. Um, I think he just has so much range. He's done every single genre. And I think that, to me, that proves that he can direct anything and he's done everything. Even his bad films are not that bad Mm. compared to other directors. But um, yeah, Jurassic Park, um, when I was a kid, I honestly thought those dinosaurs were real, that I was looking Mm. at real dinosaurs on screen. Mm. And um, I think it's just so iconic and it's just one of the best scores by John Williams ever. Mm. Um, Yeah, and... You know, I can recite that film from start to finish. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. I've seen it on, I've seen it in IMAX. I've seen it in standard uh, standard viewings. I've got it on every format at home. I've got it on video, DVD, Blu-ray. <laughs> I'm about to get it on 4K. So start me with with uh, Titanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will always get that film on every format that it's available on. And yeah, that is the film that is. It made me realize what is what you can do with film. Mm. And like I said, as a kid, I was completely engaged with it. And I thought what I was seeing was real, and it's mm. just. Amazing. The special effects in that, even it now, still holds up. Are sensational. Yeah. It was on the telly yeah. the other day. I watched it again. Like you said, the score's great. Yeah, um, which is why I was so upset. I don't know what your thoughts on some of the newer Jurassic. Yeah, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Like I said, Batman v Superman made me really angry. Jurassic yeah. World: Fallen Kingdom made me almost that mm. that same level of anger <laughs> when I walked out. But um, I, I, I enjoyed Jurassic World, but Fallen Kingdom I wasn't a big fan of. But um, I, I really just want them to stop it now. I, I don't want to. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on the, uh, the same opinion as you. Yeah, but I'm hopeful that if they can round it off with the third one, yeah, knock that out. The park. I like the way they've set up the third one, yeah, but I so wish I. they had set. I wish that had been the start of this new series. Yeah. I wish yeah. that that's how the direction they would have went, and then I would have been more invested mm-hmm. in it. I think like they've got they've taken too long to get there. Yeah, and I do feel like that's how they should have started because it has a bit of like a Planet of the Apes vibe to it, and yeah. I think that could have been really interesting because we hadn't seen that before, but. um yeah, Jurassic Park, the best film of all time, in my opinion. Mm, well, thank you very much for coming on the show. And we appreciate uh, all your background knowledge about Cineworld. Mm. Um, and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. The adventure of the cinema being swept from scene to scene, from underwater exploration to otherworldly intergalactic space travel. And for just seventeen ninety a month, you can see unlimited films at Cineworld Cinemas anytime, any day. Get 10% off cinema food and drink, plus 10% off at Cineworld Starbucks. Enjoy 25% off food and drink at Yo Sushi, Cafe Rouge, Bella Italia, La Iguana, La Tasca and Belgo. Plus, there's preview screenings of upcoming releases and secret screenings throughout the year. With films like Captain Marvel, Toy Story 4, Godzilla 2, King of the Monsters, John Wick 3, Aladdin and Pet Cemetery, now is a great time to join. Use the code ISITWORTHIT and that's all one word and get £10 off your first month's payment making it just £7.90. So why not join today at cineworld.co.uk Yes, it's that time again where we take a look at the uh, latest news in the cinema world. And uh, the first piece of news that I actually have is about the Oscars. Um, Steven Spielberg uh, spoken out against the Academy in uh, them considering awards for Netflix films. Um, People have criticised him on this, but Spielberg uh, is a current governor of the Academy's Mm -hmm. director's branch and plans to propose changes to the Oscars um, for their eligibility to uh, to uh, allow Netflix films um, that debut on streaming services or have a very short theatrical uh, run should qualify 
for, for Oscars. Instead, he wants them to be qualified for Emmys mm. um, as they are TV movies. I throw quotation marks up in the air, which you obviously can't see. Um, <laughs> but he feels very strongly that these, yeah. these films should not be um, worthy for an Oscar. Um, and it's a very controversial uh, opinion um, for a lot of directors mm. um, because obviously there's a lot of directors who don't get the backing of big uh, distributors and Netflix sort of pick them up. Um, and it's actually an example we'll be talking about today in, in, uh, uh, on our Cinema at Home um, segment. But um, from my point of view, I somewhat agree with him mm. and somewhat don't. I think movie making in this day and age is very difficult. And for a film that you make, that you've put all your hard work into, and uh, for it to be seen by a wider audience uh, and Netflix sort of comes in and saves that day. Um, mm. And at the end of the day, you want to, people to see your film. If it is as good as uh, the Oscars think it is, then why not? Should it, why shouldn't it be picked up? The eligibility is the, the only rule here that, that people think is a bit naughty is that Netflix has a short theatrical run. Mm. So for Roma, um, the film went into cinemas or cinema screens that Netflix purposely bought out themselves, mm. um, which is very clever because obviously they reap all of the money back from mm. the box office in that regards because they've paid the money to have it in in the cinema. Um, there's no other distributor distributing it mm. in, into the cinema. So um, I get Spielberg's point um, and I also get Netflix's um, sort of their way of you know mm. picking up these films to give give them more vi- uh, viewability i suppose I, th- I think this is a brilliant piece of news to bring craig because obviously uh, roma did do very well at the academy awards winning best foreign language film best cinematography best director and received a best picture nomination and this really represents a new era potentially for the academy and off air we were talking about by this time next year or in the run-up to to the next oscars we will know a lot more about this situation are the academy going to fully embrace netflix films and the suggestion might be yes we know that martin scorsese uh, has been funded via netflix a huge budget i don't know off the top of my Mm. head but we are talking something crazy his biggest budget ever for a film called the irishman which stars robert de niro joe pesci al pacino they actually dropped the first trailer although it wasn't a trailer it was more of an audio clip during uh, the 91st academy awards and that is a film just from the fact that it's scorsese de niro pacino it's it's something that's going to be it's already got talk for for academy awards in a number of categories already before it's even come out so it, it It is an important piece of news because the film industry is changing. Um, But the idea of a film is that it needs to be seen on the big screen. And I think people like Steven Spielberg want to see more films on the big screen and potentially more low-budget films on the big screen as Mm -hmm. well, not just put straight onto Netflix. And like you said, with Roma as well, the way they sort of dodged the bullet there by putting it in cinemas very shortly just so it qualified for an Oscar, it's they've opened a can of worms and it's a very important piece of news and one that we'll probably be talking about right up until the next Oscars. Yeah, I mean, just pushing on that point a little bit, more with Roma it wasn't backed by Netflix it was made a lot of money was put into it but mm. Netflix didn't throw any money into it they literally only yeah. picked it up they acquired acquired the film as a Netflix original mm. um so they've then done the marketing plan afterwards they've done the bit where they put it into the theater yeah. with the, the Martin Scorsese film they have is this a true they've Netflix original film mm. and they have produced it they have 
put all the money mm. into it, 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 it. They've got a plan for this. This could have a cinematic release if they want to appease Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to touch upon that, actually, because I was reading an article earlier today where quite a um, sort of a well-respected film critic said that, you know, people kicking off like Spielberg about the fact that Roma um, was on Netflix he said, why on earth wasn't this beautifully made Mexican film picked up by major distributors in the first place? Mm. You know, why did it have to go to Netflix? Why why wasn't this available on the big screen? Uh, the answer to that, I'm not 100% sure. But his idea was this was a, a Mexican film, a foreign language film that no one was really that interested in until it turned out that it was an award, potential award winner. Um, but like you said, yeah, I mean, I hope The Irishman um, does come on the big screen. I really do. I, I don't fully understand how net, the fact it's funded by Netflix works and what they would have to do to get it to have a cinematic release. But I'm really excited for that film. I really, really am. Literally, as a distributor, you basically put the films into the cinema. So, so Netflix can do that. Netflix can do that. But the way they do it is by actually buying the screens. Mm. So they, they literally buy the screen, hire the screens out almost, and then put a few screenings on. And, and, and that, that allowed it to be nominated or put in uh, eligible for the, for the Oscars. Um, if they're playing a difficult game because if they were to actually make it a main distributed film, they would have to put a lot more money into mm. it. And They've Netflix, already pumped billions. They have. And that, Netflix isn't actually a very wealthy company as, as much as people might think they are. They are actually making a loss each year because they have no other revenue streams other than people subscribing to mm. Netflix. And it's not that expensive, let's be honest. It's not. And a lot of people share the Netflix experience. Mm. They give out their passwords and, and whatnot. A- Amazon have a lot more money. They have a lot more revenue streams coming in from all of their different things. iTunes, Apple, they have a lot more as well. And they're starting to make um, their own streaming service, which is going to be coming out in the next few years as well. Apple? Apple, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) And they're going to be making their own original content as well. It's the same with um, other streaming services as well. I mean, uh, the BBC and ITV are combining their their efforts. Disney are going to be creating their own streaming services. It's all becoming a little bit messy. But Disney have the, many other multiple revenue streams, own a lot more in terms of, of, of back catalogues and films. Netflix don't have the same power. So if they really want to be a major player, they've got mm. to really start thinking about changing their business and allowing um, more revenue streams to come in. Otherwise, they are going to go bust at some point and the other yeah. streaming services and other film distributors are going to somehow overtake mm. it. So they're going to have to cut a deal at some point. And I think this year, we will see something dramatic happen. I have this feeling that um, maybe... Disney or maybe 20th Century Fox, actually, which is now owned by Disney, mm. Monopoly here, um, you know, a company like that will have to invest in Netflix and they, yeah. and they combine their efforts into making films because mm. I don't Some think, sort of merger, I feel. Yeah, because I don't think Netflix are going to be able to sustain the same momentum yeah. because they're buying up. I mean, each week, as we're seeing cinema at home, they're churning out mm. films Day after day, week after week of Netflix originals. And, and they're not always made by Netflix, mm. but they're picking them up. And they're not always necessarily very, very good. Mm. They're, sometimes they're quite poor. Mm. And it's almost like they're doing it on purpose to, to just try and to go, hi, guys, we're still in the game. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're not got their, their head screwed on properly here, I think. 
I mean, we've talked about this a lot longer than I was expecting to, but, I, you know, I'm really enjoying it. And at the moment in front of us, we've got two phones and an iPad, a Mac. You know, screens are everywhere. Mm. And I know a number of our listeners, uh, including Paul Newbegin, um, listen to this podcast on their commute to work. And more and more people now are reading on their commutes. They're watching stuff on their tablets, on their phones, so they can, you know, watch a bit of a film or they can catch that last episode in a series. So there is a real need for streaming services. But like you said, the whole technicality with the Oscars I mean, going forward I think Spielberg's going to have to accept that streaming services are going to play a major part in, in the Academy Awards I just can't see how they can't no um, I think there's got to be some change in ineligibility and I think films will need to have a longer cinematic release or mm. theatrical release and have it a bit more worldwide if they really want to have these films considered mm. um, and Netflix I don't think they've got the, 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 the money behind them to be able to do that unless they cut certain films that they're going to be doing and they stick to really only making really great films anyway yeah cheers for that Craig thanks for that bit of news and again something we'll probably touch more upon on our awards season special Uh, I've got a bit of uh, news for you which is good considering this is the news segment (laughs) Um, and it's about Rami Malek it's not the news that he did win uh, best actor at the Academy Awards which I was really hoping would go to Christian Bale um, but it didn't. No, in fact, Rami Malek is reportedly in talks to be the villain in Bond 25. Um, so following months of director swaps, delays, script rewrites, release date shuffles, um, the next Bond film, Bond 25, is apparently in talks with Mr. Malek um, about being the next Bond villain. He's got a, a very busy schedule uh, at the moment because um, he's actually scheduled to be working on Mr. Robot's final season, um, which means that he's going to have to do a lot of juggling with his ca- uh, ca- character, calendar. Um, <laughs> and potentially, yeah, I mean, I don't know about this. I think it could be a smart move to get Rami Malik on the back of an Oscar win, on the back of his Freddie Mercury performance into Bond 25, because believe it or not, at the moment, he's one of the hottest things in Hollywood. You know, whether or not you like Bohemian Rhapsody or not, his performance as Freddie Mercury was pretty pretty special. Um, I just don't know if I can imagine him as... He's, he's too nice. I mean, did you yeah. see him at the Academy Awards? He's just... I mean, he's very nasally, but he's just very nice and calm. I can't imagine him... Then again, Javier Bardem, I thought, was a brilliant um, Bond villain. You know, you see him in other stuff, and he's this really sort of smooth, you know, operator. But yeah. Well, have you seen um, Rami in Mr. Robot? I haven't. It's a brilliant TV series. It's available on uh, Amazon Prime, yeah. and it is one of the best um, uh, sort of diverse roles that you can see him playing. And he's he's almost got issues with his mental ability and... He, he plays it so well. Um, he's he's incredibly clever in this in this TV show. He's incredibly confused. He doesn't know what's real, what's right, and the way he plays it really gives me this feeling that he will be a great villain actually, mm. because he he gets nasty sometimes in Mister Robot, and uh, yeah, I think he'll be a really great Bond villain. So yeah, that's my uh, that's my first piece of news, Mr. Fields. I know you have another piece of news as well. Yeah, I mean it's not going to be uh, something that I talk about a lot, but it's Aquaman two officially set for December twenty two uh, twenty twenty two release. And also they've got this spin off in between that as well, and the spin off as well. And you know, for a film that took was it one it was one point one billion dollars mm. uh, worldwide, and it's you know that's not bad for a film that had a mollusk 
playing the drums. <laughs> Um, you know, it wasn't our most favourite film, mm. but it was visually uh, spectacular. Um, and the Warner Brothers are, are going to commission the sequel. Um, it, we're not sure if James Wan is going to be in the direct, directing seat. However, he is um, on the production side as a producer at the minute. So he's he's guiding it into the way that he wants it to be. And he's just got to make up his mind whether he wants to direct it or I, not. I believe he's set to direct the horror spin-off. Mm. Um, because James Wan's obviously very well known for his horror films and the spin-off's going to focus on that bit where Aquaman dives into the ocean and he's chased by those sort of variety of quite scary sea creatures. So I think James Wan's on board for that. Yeah, he's certainly certainly 100% producing. I don't know whether it has 100% been confirmed that he's mm. directing it, um, but I would like to see James Wan direct that. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about the, the sequel to Aquaman. I mean, it would be good to see him pick it up and it mm. would take on the same sort of uh, feeling or feel. However, I think he might be better in the producer role and get in some fresh... Yeah. Um, fresh direction on on the next Aquaman film because I don't think it did as as well as we would have hoped it mm. to have done. So yeah, I think um, James Wan, the producer, would be better. Yeah. And uh, for my second piece of news, another sequel. So we, we've spoken about this before, but it has now been confirmed that John Krasinski and Emily Blunt uh, will be returning for a Quiet Place sequel. Um, so John Krasinski's confirmed that he's going to direct like he did in the original. Emily Blunt has confirmed that she will be starring in the film and the um, two uh, child uh, actors uh, actors and actresses as well will also be returning um, so it, I would imagine that the sequel will be just that it will be following on from where the last film left off uh, and, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it I mean I thought A Quiet Place was something very very unique and very very special I do worry about a sequel because it's one of those films that was so unique and so different that will it work a second time up. Mm, how do you build upon that? And yeah. I, I think the screenplay is going to be really important. I think they have to get the plot right. I think they have to have some real meat on the bone um, because if it's just more of the same into visual effects and more of the same suspense, it might not work unless they they have a real good plot because like uh, Paul said when we got him on the phone, once you see those creatures, you know, they're bubbling heads, the, the element of fear is somewhat lost. So I think they've potentially got to get the script right, get the plot right. But they've got so much room for expansion because remember that whole film was just based upon their experiences on their home farm. Mm. So there's a whole world they can go into in terms of what these creatures have done all over the planet. So I am very excited for A Quiet Place too. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it as well. And I think the... Uh taking it further it could be a dialogue aspect so there could be more dialogue in the film mm. there could be different sound elements to it and i'm not sure we're going to want to see that i don't i think we want to keep it quiet mm. i think we want that element again or how can they change and build upon that and make yeah. it make it different but the same sort of thing yeah. and and it's going to be a real difficult one for us to see i think yeah like i said i want more of that i loved the 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 quietness, the tension. I've never been in a cinema where, mm. where it was so quiet because there's always some moron rustling or, yeah. or or eating something. It was just deadpan quiet. But like I said, that worked the first time. The problem I have that doing it again is you won't care as much for the characters unless they have um, a real good plot. So there's more at stake. And I yeah. feel like they're going to have to expand away from the family home and make it sort of show what's happening across the whole world. Um, but very exciting and um, really looking forward to that. And in other news, police in America have been called to check on the welfare of a cardboard cutout. 
And that was the news brought to you by Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. It's now time for our fourth review on this week's show, and it's a private war. Uh, This film is about Mary Colvin, who is played by Rosamund Pike, and she is one of the most celebrated war correspondents ever. Uh, Colvin, working for the Sunday Times, travels across the globe to bring a voice to those who are voiceless. Uh, During her time in Sri Lanka, Colvin is hit by a grenade that renders her blind in one eye. Uh, Wearing a distinctive eye patch, she is yet undeterred, sipping martinis with London's elite as she is confronting dictators such as Colonel Gaddafi. Colvin sacrifices much, and over time, her personal life starts to unravel as the trauma she witnesses takes its toll. Yet, her mission to show the true cost of war leads her, along with renowned war photographer Paul Conroy, who's played by Jamie uh, Doran, uh, on the most dangerous assignment of their lives in the besieged Syrian city of Homs. Uh, Let's take a listen to a clip. In war zones, parents go to bed at night not knowing if their children will see the morning. That is a measure of fear that I can never feel. But when you're covering a war, you have to go to places where you could be killed or where others are being killed. And put one foot in front of the other no matter how afraid you are, to make that suffering part of the record. So in a world where journalism is constantly under attack of providing fake news, Mary Colvin's story um, is a depiction of, of war uh, it's at its very worst. And it, it's so completely relevant uh, right now. Uh, and it came, it came out, I came out of this film feeling completely shell-shocked. It felt like we were watching a really, really well-shot documentary at times. Um, And speaking of which, there is a documentary that came before this called Under the Wire, which is directed by Chris Martin. And I'd be very interested now, after watching this film, to go and watch the the documentary, um, because I think the cinematic counterpart, which is A Private War here, um, does a, a brilliant job of wanting to learn more about Mary Colvin, wanting to learn more about the journalism that she did and wanting to learn more about Syria and Homs and everything that's been going on that seems to have been, I don't know, muddled up in the media, things that have sort of gone over my head that I've not really been able to understand completely. And this film sort of gets into the aspects of what happened and really makes me want to understand it better because it's a tragedy what happened there. And Mary Colvin is an absolute amazing, an amazing woman. And if if this film, which I think does her perfectly good justice, I think the documentary mm. was probably done even even better justice. Um, yeah, I... I I absolutely loved the film and mm. it really was one of the most hard-hitting films I've seen this year. And I haven't really talked about much about the film. It's literally how I feel. Mm. And I think anybody who goes to see this film will have so much feelings built up inside of them about it because it is so hard-hitting. Um, 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're almost lost for words, which yeah, is what you yeah. were. I remember when we went to see this, you, you came out, yeah, I, I would say shell-shocked, very shaken up by what you'd seen. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, I'll, and I'll kick off my, my review by saying I loved this film. Um, I loved it for a, a number of reasons, which I'm now going to uh, tell you. But, you know, firstly, it's inspired by um, journalist uh, Marie um, Brenner's Vanity Fair article, um, Marie Colvin's Private War. That's why the film's called Private War. And it's actually a feature film debut for director Matthew Heinemann, uh, who is the director of a number of acclaimed documentaries, including Cartel Land and City of Ghosts. And when I discovered that, that didn't surprise me at all, because like you said, one of the main things that this film gets across is it feels like a documentary. You feel like you're there. It doesn't feel cinematic at all, but at the same time, it feels very cinematic, if that makes sense. So it feels like a documentary, but it also feels like a film in in a way that I've not really experienced on the big big screen before. It's because Rosamund Pike is... Mm playing a dramatised version of the events that unfold, but she does it in such a way that you feel like you are part of that action. Yeah. And at the same time, you know it's a cinematic... It's 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 dramatised. You know that it is, but you feel like it's real and it is so bizarre. You know, I think Rosamund Pike is sensational in this and actually at the end of the film they have a they have a um a, cl- a clip of the, of the real Colvin and she gets her voice so spot on the physicality, um her mannerisms, particularly the voice which she's really had to adapt for this role. Uh, also an interesting fact, um this film actually broke a world record, Craig. I don't know if you know what that world record is for. No, go, go uh, ahead. This film has broken the world record for the most cigarettes smoked ever in a film. <laughs> Um, which I th- yeah okay. Obviously, I thought you'd quite enjoy the typical journalist constantly smoking, um, but she just really does become Colvin. She embodies this journalist, mm. and what I like about this film is that it gets across so clearly her message and her biggest fear. Her biggest fear was whether or not her readers would care enough about what they were reading about to actually go about implementing change. And unfortunately, her her biggest worry in many ways has come true in the sense that the ongoing uh, tragedy in, in Syria continues, the death toll continues to be on the rise, and the media continues to completely ignore it. Um, we we are not getting good, honest, real journalism like uh, Colvin gave us. Instead, you know, we're getting rubbish. You know, what this film is about is about real journalism, real stories, and a really inspirational woman who literally put her life on the line and lost an eye to bring the stories from the people in the middle of these war zones, to bring the stories from, um, you know, mothers that had lost children, fathers that had lost husbands. You know, that there's that um, brilliant clip where there's a camera and they're th- filming this this family losing their child, their child is dying in front of them, and some of the actual footage that that was that we do see when when it, the news reports what's going on in Syria is that is absolutely terrible. Um, and what I loved about this is that this was about real journalism, not the divisive, pot stirring garbage that the Western media continues to trot out because mm-hmm. that's that's what we get. Um, I'm not, I don't even know what her name is, but. You know the 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 British girl who's recently, uh, or, or a few years ago, went to join ISIS and now wants to come back. Why are our media even giving this this headlines? This is a this is a this is a, a situation that needs to be dealt with by politicians and lawyers, and 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 that's that. Don't be don't 
be reporting on this because it's divisive. It's 100% divisive. We, we don't really need well, this uh, kind of journalism. I, I agree to, the, to some of that and to some extent, but you, instead of giving her airtime, report mm. the, the on, on the, the facts, mm. but don't give her a, so much of a voice. But then yes. again... Journalism is about giving a but, voice to the voiceless. But, but, she wouldn't necessarily yeah. have that voice being shown. And they allowed her to get her opinion why out mm. as to why she feels like she should come back. And and I think it's necessary to hear some sides of the story. But so. at the same time, it's, it's journalism pot stirring for the sake of it. So this is a very divisive subject matter. People are very, have very strong opinions about this, you know, go on social media. People seem to still be posting about it. Mm. And I don't feel like the, particularly the tabloids are giving us a balanced news. They're not saying this is what's happening. These are the facts. This is what's going to happen in parliament. This is what her lawyers are saying. I'm, I, I, I'm just getting a lot of her face, you know, you're not welcome, pot stirring journalism. Whereas actually what we need more of is stories like Colvin was, was getting about the innocent uh, Muslim women and children who have been murdered about, you know, Muslim uh, fathers who've, who've, who've lost children, who've lost wives. Um, the, the the horrors of Assad's regime and what's going on in Syria and 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 the tragedy that actually has almost been somewhat forgotten, because unfortunately this kind of real honest journalism doesn't sell papers. You know, putting a picture of of, of a teenage girl that went to join ISIS and 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 saying how bad she is gets people to pick up newspapers. And really, what we want is some more honest journalism, so we actually know what the hell is going on. Mm. As for some more aspects about the actual film, the, the there were some parts of the film that I feel like didn't actually work. So the build-up to Homs was somewhat laborious. You get a lot of um, these like titles coming up. So it's 10 years b- before Homs. It's sort of building up this picture. And I feel like it, the downfall in that part is is the screenplay. So it didn't need, necessarily need to be broken down into these chapters. It didn't need to keep having that and bringing it forward, reminding us that something is going to happen in Homs. It probably would have been far more dramatic for someone who didn't under know Mary Colvin's story to just lead straight into her final outing into into Syria and 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 then finding out what actually happened to her in real life and when she went there mm. you know it, it sort of it felt like it, it was a laborious task sort of expecting something to happen um you know just let it happen almost I disagree really I, I actually quite like the way it broke it down nah. um, into those those blocks because it had that feeling of it was a very sort of journalist way of presenting it so almost like Chapter one, bang. Chapter two, bang. And it, I, I felt like it was really tense and it was building up and we knew something big was going to happen, whether you knew the story or not. And I actually liked the way that they broke it down like that. So it's, it's good to disagree. Yeah, I, I, but the, it, that's, the, that's the thing, isn't it? This is a film. It's not, it isn't a documentary. It's mm. not a, it's not a um, journalistic piece at the end of the day. This is a dramatisation of Mary Colvin's life mm. before um getting to syria so it mm. it needed to, it needed to flow better mm. and i f- it did feel like a bit of a task for me to to watch the film in mm. that in that these yeah. chapters coming up and and telling me that something's going to happen and, in Homs. Th- and you know i it made it predictable that mm. something was going to happen I, I i didn't want to know i wanted yeah, them to the build shock it. factor yeah i wanted it to be more shocking and you know despite it being visually very shocking i wanted the story 
to to not give it away so much because it was that it gives it away almost too much. I mean, I think your concerns are reflected in the Rotten Tomato scores, where the critics give it a ninety percent rating, whereas the audience give it a sixty five percent rating. Uh, I'd like to see that audience rating higher. I think it's better than a sixty five percent, you know, film. Um, but again, I think the reason some people struggle with it is the fact that yes, the, the pace is a bit slow. It is a that the flow is is disjointed, and some of the um, we both agree that some of the uh, script is a little bit not great. Um, <laughs> it's a, a little bit not great. I know that's not a very well you know a very good way of putting it, but the script isn't brilliant. Mm. There are parts of it that are just don't work. So like the dialogue aspects, you mean? Yes, yeah. the dialogue, yeah. yeah. So the, the acting's brilliant. Rosman Pike and, and everyone else involved are, are superb, and I think visually it's very good, and it, and it has like a, a documentary feel, but at the same time cinematic. But some of the dialogue, i.e. the script they've been given, isn't brilliant. Um, but I forgive that, because I think overall this is a sensational film, and it touches on such an important issue. Mm. Um I I just think it was, it was brilliant. Mm. Really, really, really like this film. It, I'm just going to say it is one of the most difficult films I've I think I've watched at the cinema. Mm. And there was three significant moments in the film that I I genuinely cried. I mm. I couldn't hold back the tears, and it, because it was so emotional, um, it really tugged at the heartstrings, and it really, it really, I don't know. It it was almost like a, a wake up. Yeah, like, it, it was it was waking me up from the 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 rubbish that we see mm. on the news this is the real this is real mm. even though it's 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 not but it is it felt so real yeah. that's the thing yeah. about this film it felt so real like compared to other films where you're very aware you're in a cinema and you're watching a film and you're watching a dramatized version of something this felt very real mm. um particularly in the big screen with the surround sound it was almost like you were there it was and it was i would describe it as harrowing to watch and mm. just upsetting yeah but important then you know there were times we could have been taken out of that cinema experience as well mm. by you know there were some humorous moments in the mm. film and there was yes. one gentleman in the screening who <laughs> was oh, really God. really like over the top laughing yeah and that, that sometimes can take you out of the mm. out of the moment but actually the film was so good that you, yeah you stayed in the moment so you know props to it um, doing that. Um, oh. If if you do want to see the documentary um, uh, under the wire, it it isn't available on streaming service, but it is, it is available to purchase on Amazon and iTunes for four ninety nine, which is the cheapest place. But otherwise, it is available on YouTube, Google Play, and Sky Store to purchase as well. Mm. And uh, I'm certainly going to be watching uh, yeah. watching that film because I want to know more. Mm. And I'm glad you said about the comedy as well. I totally agree. There's some really good humor in here some dark humor that just gives you that little bit of relief that little break away from the more serious action stanley tucci uh, is also in this film doesn't have a huge amount of screen time but i really like his character uh, and and overall I, I just i just loved it um but i'm going to ask you the question first mr fields a private war is it worth it yes this is a film that everybody um needs to go and see i think it's a very important film um for this day and age um and for the moment that we are living in right now it will open your eyes to something so much bigger it really really will um and uh you know do not shy away from it if you think it's not your type of film just go and see it i i, I think it's worth the money going to see whether you have an unlimited card or not go mm. and see this film um i like i i'm pleading with you to go and see it i think it's very important 
and, and oh yeah and new david <laughs> uh, private war is it worth it for you yes for, uh, exactly what you've said 100 percent worth it i think people have to see this film um as soon as possible if you don't see it in the cinema buy it when it comes out it's, it's a must-see film Is it worth it? Cinema at home. Yes, it's that time again. Cinema at home. This is our favourite part, isn't it, David? Is it? I (laughs) I, I quite enjoy it. Um, It's the bit where we get to sit at home and watch films on many, many a streaming service. Um, It tends to be Netflix these days, doesn't it? They are pumping them out for fun at the moment. They are. There's so many. Um, So the one I had picked that came out this week is Paris is Us. So this is actually a French French film um, (laughs) directed by Elizabeth Vogler. And um, I started watching the film and... Netflix, for some reason, have overdubbed the film in, in American English. Oh, God. Um, and I was a bit confused because I knew it was a French film, um, but they the voices didn't match up. And I was like, is this supposed to be American people mm. speaking in this French film? And I was like, no. And then I realized I can change it to the original ah. subtitled French um, vocals over the top. So I did that because... Trust me, if you're going to watch this film, watch it that way because I thought the voice acting of the Americans were pretty terrible. Um, anyway, so... This, as I said, is the um, directorial debut of Elizabeth Vogler. And uh, do you know who Elizabeth Vogler is? Yeah, you know what? Neither do I, because I looked her up and um, I was trying to do find do some digging to find who she is. And mm. nobody knows who she is. So I'm led to wow. believe that she, this is a pseudonym. So she could be a prominent director. Oh, you she, literally mean nobody knows who she is? Literally nobody knows who she is, yeah. Um, so first of all, that's a quite interesting fact about the film. Um, it was me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all, right, all right, Elizabeth. Um <laughs> So the, the the film was shot in Paris and it was shot over about a three-year period. Um, and over the course of the three years, it's, the money started to run out. Um, and to get the funding that they needed, they went on to Kickstarter and they raised about 85,000 euros wow. needed to complete the movie, um, which they managed to do. Um, and then it, it was picked up by Netflix. Um, it's reported that the actress who plays Anna in the film is quoted as saying that um, they weren't sure that they wanted Netflix to to take it on. Um, The the film essentially had no producer. It had directors, um, all the artists, everyone who was involved in the film, about 25 people, so that's um, editors, that's... um, uh, the, the the sound guy, the camera operator, director, actresses, and stuff—they were basically working on this film in their in their spare time, and it it was basically a labor of love, very small budget, and they wanted this to be their film and nobody else's. So they didn't want to then try and get a producer on board who would then be putting money into it yeah. and then changing how they, the the film was going to be. Um, so Netflix picking it up and as a distributor. Um, was a difficult choice, but they they went with it. So what is this movie about? Well, it's uh, about a young woman and a young man, Anna and Greg. Uh, They meet in a club. Um, There's narration over the top of this, which is scripted, but the actual club scene that you see visually is completely unscripted, like a lot of the majority of the film. Um, These two people fall in love, typical sort of love film, um, and and then something happens. A spanner is thrown in the works. Greg is offered a job in Barcelona and goes 
and takes the job, but he wants Anna to go with him. Anna is really unsure about this, but she decides to go and visit him out in Barcelona. So the film um, alludes to the fact whether or not she gets onto this aeroplane and something happens. The aeroplane crashes and everybody on board is dead. Did Anna get on that plane? Well, apparently not. And it starts to go into this weird sort of what if scenarios. Did this happen? Did that happen? Dream sequences. Mm. It becomes absolutely mad. And you don't <laughs> know what's real and what's not real. And she's always questioning the reality. Um, is her relationship real? Was this right? Did she see things in her relationship before that mm. was actually <clears throat> she was seeing it differently? And it just unfolds in this very strange and non-linear fashion. It goes backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, and it's very turbulent, and it's turbulent like her relationship. And it's also turbulent in terms of the French history of this moment in time. So there were scenes that were filmed during the marches in the street in Paris mm. for the um, Charlie uh, Charlie Hebo, is it? Or Hebo? Um, uh, marches that were going on at that time. And it it really embodies a lot of what the French people wanted to see. And that's why it made so much money during the Kickstarter project. People really got behind the film, or the, especially uh, French people got behind the film and wanted to see this kind of film because it really depicted what was going on in this time, especially the things that were going on in, in Anna's head. And she starts to question things in politics and it, obviously, it completely diverges off what mm. the film was in the first half an hour where it's this just couple falling in love and you, it's all, you think it's going to be a romantic film of some sort for, or romantic drama. And it's completely different and um props to the director for to making this film props for her agreeing to put this out on on netflix because it needed to be seen by a wider audience because i'm glad i watched this film mm. it's very different completely different and and for netflix to then pick it up as well you know it it counters the points that we were saying in the news earlier mm. about you know should netflix slow down on picking up some of these films yes they should but if it's something like this, it's very different, then I think it's a, it's completely worth watching. And I think this is completely worth watching um, on uh, at home. It's, it's one that I would recommend definitely watching. So I'm glad I've watched it. I'm glad I've seen it. And um, I think you need to watch this one next as well. Okie dokie. <laughs> what did you see? So, Craig, I saw Paddleton, which is also available on Netflix. It's a fairly new release for Netflix. I think it's only been out for about a week. Um, and what's this film about? Well, it's pretty heavy subject matter, actually. Um, it's about an unlikely friendship between two sort of real misfit neighbours, um, which becomes even more of an unexpected emotional journey when the younger man is actually diagnosed with terminal cancer. And that's not a, a plot spoiler. That is literally the opening, or one of the opening parts of the film. Why is it called Paddleton? Well, Paddleton is a game that they've invented. It's sort of a mixture of squash and tennis, and it involves them hitting this ball against a wall and trying to get it into a big sort of barrel, like an oil barrel. Um, and it's something that these two neighbours do on the weekend and they also do puzzles together and they seem to watch the same um, uh, karate or, or martial arts film every night. Um, you, you have a feeling, actually, that one or both of them are suffering from maybe autism or OCD, something like that. They're very quirky, unique. They have a very specific routine and the film brilliantly shows that, the, the repeated... Um, nature of their routine with them going to work, you know, 
same time and then same time every weekend playing Paddleton and then a bit like your film a spanner is thrown into the works when one of our younger characters is diagnosed with terminal cancer and the film is directed by uh, Alex Lehman Uh, it stars Ray Romano and Mark Duplass it's Mark Duplass's character that's diagnosed with the cancer and it really is just an analysis of friendship and what it means to have a best friend and what do you do when your best friend is ill or you know worst case scenario is terminally ill and it doesn't sound like particularly enjoyable watching, but somehow the film manages to instantly make you fall in love with these characters. And I don't know how it does it. Um, you you get an immediate sense of friendship as soon as you start watching this film. And like I said, the characters are so, so likeable, and I don't know why. <laughs> I cannot offer you any logical explanation as to why these characters are likeable, but they just are. And as soon as, as, and I mean literally within the first five minutes, you go, oh, I really like these guys. They're a bit different, a bit quirky, and in, in some ways, they're, they're, you sort of want to hug them. They're just really nice blokes. Um, and because you like them so instantly, once this news is dropped that he has terminal cancer, you're, you're invested into the story. It's a very serious film. It's actually very well shot, um, but it's also a comedy, um, a film about cancer, comedy. Does it work? Yes, um, because it takes that. If you well, if you're not gonna, you know, if you don't laugh, you, you'll cry. Kind of thought, and it and it rolls with it. And we see them go on this this journey together. I don't want to say too much about why they go on this journey, where they go, and what they're doing, because actually, that in some ways, I think would be a spoiler. Um, and I want people to check this film out. I mean, I wouldn't recommend this film if you're looking to have a date night in with the misses or or the other half. Um, it's quite heavy. Um, at the same time, it's it's funny, but it's it's not possibly a film that you you want to watch after a long day at work, because it's it's quite serious in its subject matter. But it's got a brilliant critical reception. Ninety one percent of the critics liked it. Eighty nine percent of the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's the kind of film where, if you're in the mood to see something a, a little bit like instant family in the sense that you'll you'll laugh you'll cry um and you're in the mood for watching something quite moving and emotional i would really recommend checking this film out uh, it's not very long uh, and it it's it's bizarre in some ways it, it really shouldn't work but it just does um it's available on netflix now it's called paddleton and uh, i really enjoyed it mm, i'm definitely going to be watching that one as well um so we have some other recommendations that are now available on streaming services and on now tv we have the brilliant leave no trace uh, this was one of my yes. favorite films of 2018 it should have been nominated for various awards oscars etc etc um are you, you going to tell me it was an out, it was awarded something Yes, Craig, it was actually nominated for a number of awards at the 34th Independent Spirit Awards. Uh, I know the director uh, received a nomination. Joaquin Phoenix was nominated. The film was nominated. Uh, unfortunately, off the top of my head, I can't tell you the exact nominations, but the night before the Oscars at the Indie Awards um, or the Independent Spirit Awards, which is sort of like the, the main awards ceremony um, for films that are that little bit different, you know, possibly not your mainstream Hollywood stuff. And it was very well recognised there, and rightly so, because it was a sensational film with an 
incredible soundtrack. Yeah, well, I, I really wanted to see it nominated for Oscars specifically, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. I, I, no, <laughs> honestly, I think it should have been a mainstream film because it really was a mainstream film. And I think a lot of critics really picked it up. It did have a, a big cinematic release. I mean, for us to manage to catch it in the cinema um, when we did, I think, um, shows that it had a decent cinematic release. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is now available to watch at home and um, really, really, really want you guys to check it out. Um, we've talked about it so much. If you want to listen to uh, other reviews, check out our for other episodes and our 2018 um, Film of the Year um, bonus episode. I can't even remember <laughs> what we called it, um, but that was a sensational film. Um, Apollo 13 is now available on Netflix. Yes. Um, one of my favourite uh, space films ever. I mean, I grew up with Apollo 13, so that really inspired me and it made me want to become an astronaut obviously that didn't happen because i'm not in space um but i really <laughs> really love this film um tom hanks at his best um and it's just an utterly brilliant story and uh, just just one of my favorite from my childhood and i would like to recommend a film on amazon prime and it is hereditary now uh, again like craig i'm pretty sure this made it into my top 10 or top 20 films of last year uh, i'll have to go back and listen to the episode to remind myself but i do remember absolutely loving it uh, tony collette was superb um, she was someone that actually i'd like to have seen had a, have a more prominent role in award season uh, millie shapiro who plays the the young girl in it is also brilliant um, it's a very unique horror film in its style and it's a horror film that will shock you to your core. It is somewhat let down by, a, 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 in many ways, a farcical ending, but 95% of this film is genius. It's available on Amazon Prime. I think it's a very unique horror film. I think it's one to watch, and uh, it's one that I would thoroughly recommend. So that is our recommendations for Cinema at Home. And as always, if you have seen anything on any streaming services, Netflix, Amazon, Now TV, drop us an email, send us a tweet, let us know what you've seen. We'll check it out and we'll certainly mention it on the show. Is it worth it? Cinema at Home. So it's now time for our final review on week 30 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. And it's Happy Death Day to you. Um, this is a surprise sequel from Christopher Landon. It sees Jessica Roth reprise the role of a tree. Now, having survived the ridiculous and life-threatening events in Happy Death Day in 2017, Tree finds herself in the same college room, thankful to be alive. However, this time it's Carter's roommate Ryan who claims that he is reliving the same Groundhog Day over and over and over again as a mysterious <laughs> paranoid killer in a single toothed baby face mask with a big kitchen knife has made a habit of murdering him. Hmm. Under those circumstances, a valiant but vain attempt to face and challenge him once more will send Tree back to square one trapped in the all too familiar and blood drenched time loop. How many deaths separate Tree from a truly happy birthday? Well, <laughs> let's find out and they can listen to this clip. <laughs> That's great. Oh. Right. Dude, I am tripping right now. Yeah. No, 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 seriously. I'm having that thing. You know, what's it called? When you feel like you've already lived through something before. Deja vu? Yes, that. I feel like I've totally lifted his day already. Wait, what? Okay. Just breathe. Just breathe. <sighs> Listen to me. The day reset when you died, right? Yeah, some psycho dude in a baby mess attacked me. But it was just a dream, right? Toons is dead. 
So is Lori. And who's the killer this time? Uh, hello? Will someone please explain what the hell is going on? And you're going to be stuck reliving this day until we figure out how to stop it. So there we have a clip from the film, which I must say wasn't as good as Craig's very dramatic um, monologue before his <laughs> summary of the film. I really did quite enjoy that. Um, and I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed this film. I'm going to kick straight off and just say I, I really, really liked it. So I hadn't seen the first one. Um, and, and the brilliant thing about this film actually is Although it is a follow-on, it also works as a standalone film because the director very cleverly basically summarises the whole previous film in like a three-minute, maybe less, two-minute two flashback. It could even be 30 seconds. It could even be 30 seconds, yeah. I don't know, but it was brilliant. It showed the whole film, you know, all very quickly and pieced together, and I was like, oh, wow, so I've, I know what happened in the first film now. You know, let's let's crack on with this one. And I, I was expecting this film to be bad. I don't know why. From the title, from the poster, uh, I was just thinking this was going to be like a bad uh, scream, really. You know, uh, another um, moron in a mask going around hacking up innocent teenagers. Yeah. But actually, it isn't. You know, this this really shouldn't work. There's a large baby with a kitchen knife killing people. There's time travel. There's all sorts of carnage and chaos going on. But somehow Christopher Landon manages to pull it together really, really well. And actually, he's announced plans for a third film already. As soon as production wrapped on this one, he he announced plans for a third. And I don't blame him because, you know, the, the first one got a very good critical reception. This one's got a pretty good critical reception as well with, you know, just under 70% of, of critics liking it and 67% of the audience and it was just really good actually the bit of it that wasn't great it wasn't bad was actually the horror element yeah, i was expecting yeah. there to be a lot more you know scream slasher man running around with knife killing people there wasn't much of that there was some but actually it was more of a, a film that actually focused on time travel and the importance of time and it had a very uh, Groundhog Day feel to it with this person reliving the same thing over and over again. And like like in uh, Groundhog where Bill Murray learns to play the piano and d does so many things uh, with his time, um, our, our main character here also uses her time effectively to try and crack a scientific code so she can get back in time to, to her previous life because she's actually in some sort of alternative universe. So it's, it's all... It goes very bizarre, doesn't it? It's, it's time travel, alternative universe, large baby with kitchen knife. It shouldn't work, but it does. Um, and actually, one of the best parts of the film is the, is the drama element of it, the emotional relationship side um, between our protagonist and her boyfriend. Um, when she snaps out of the universe that she should be in into this other parallel universe, uh, her boyfriend is now going out with her best friend. The plot thickens. Uh, and it's all very strange and bizarre. But again, in this new universe, her mom who had died is alive. And it's like, what do I do? Do I do I stay in this universe where I've got this amazing relationship with my mom, which, by the way, is brilliantly shown on screen and is actually really quite moving. Like, I came close to tears. Uh, <laughs> what? Really? really? Yeah. In, in the scene with her mum, because it was like she's in this impossible position where she has to decide does she stay in this universe where her mum is alive but her boyfriend is with her best friend or does she go back to the real universe where her mum has died um, and she's with the love of her life her boyfriend and it, it I mean I'm not sure the science adds up because I mean oh, no, definitely not. the real universe versus 
because it's a parallel universe. So actually they're running parallel. So they all exist at the same time. So, I mean, I don't know about that. It's, it, you know, I came out and I was like, oh, what's going on? Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch Interstellar because that's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Which again is all about time travel and uh, various other things. Fifth dimensions. Fifth di- many dimensions. Christopher Nolan, what a genius. Um, Interstellar, if you haven't seen it, it's a must see. I don't know why I'm talking about Interstellar. But yeah, I was expecting this to be terrible and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was it was a bizarre screening, uh, quite late, full of teenagers, uh, quite a few funny stories, uh, which Craig knows about, which I won't disclose on this podcast, but I'll put it this way. There was a number of cinema goers who were enjoying themselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, makes, that makes it sound so much worse. I won't go into any details. Um, but yeah, do you know what? I, I really enjoyed this film and bring on the third one. I was pleasantly surprised i think you need to go and watch the first one because oh, the, i intend to the first one was excellent so the first one was groundhog day meets scream it really was it was the slasher horror film that you were expecting this one i'm to sorry be. i just had a, an image in my head of a groundhog with a knife i don't <laughs> <laughs> very, okay bizarre um but yeah it really was the groundhog day and scream element that, that mm. came together in the first one well this one you as you said it, as you perfectly summarized had everything um going for it in terms of the groundhog day the time travel elements, the, the emotional depiction mm. of her mum and and the daughter element there, and it, it it built upon the first film. It had less of the horror element, but mm. you know what? I I, for, I forgave it for that because it continued the first film so well, um, and it would be interesting to see where a third one goes. But I, mm. I'm I'm not sure it will do very well. I'm not sure it will have the same response as these two films, unless they can come up with another quirky way of mm. of somehow having another Groundhog Day because it is going to be another Groundhog Day. You've just broken your pen. Oh, my God. Yes, I know. That's Poor a shame. pen. What a shame. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the film as well. Mm. Um, I I think the first one was better. Um, but nonetheless, I thought Jessica Roth was brilliant mm. in the role. I was about to say that. Again, she was fantastic. She, she's a really good actress. She really is. And she really brought her A-game to the first film. And she she put it even further in the second one. Like, she really built upon her character. She mm. really had, um, you know, taken it further. And, 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 yeah. and, you know, and that's what we wanted to see, I guess. So uh, how can we take this further in a third one? I'm mm. not so sure. It's... It's difficult because I don't want to see more of this time travel element, more of the slasher thriller, more of the Groundhog Day stuff because I've seen it already Mm. in both these films. So what else can you do with that? I I imagine that what they will try to do is obviously you've got Tree and her her boyfriend um, Carter, who's played by Israel Brosard, who again I thought was really good, along with Ruby Modine and Fee Vu as well. There's no photo of of him on IMDb. There's literally just like some sort of blank placeholder you, almost like a just a, a faceless face yeah it's quite sad blank um, so so i imagine that he's not been in much else um but he was really good in this as well i imagine the third film will go down the line of set it several years in the future they're married they possibly even have children um with the power of makeup they can certainly make them look older and then they will throw in some sort of paradox of the universe they're in... <laughs> You're writing a screenplay. <laughs> I know. The, 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 the universe they're in isn't quite the way it should be because they've gone back in time and messed it up. So something's wrong and they have to decide, do we stay here or do we go back in time again, risk our relationship and send time and space as we know it it's up in... basically back to the future. Yeah. It, it's, it, my, my prediction is that it will be set 
10 years down the line, everything will seem normal, but there'll be something fundamentally wrong with the fabric of time that they will, in fact, have so to go back. So they've actually time-jumped into another parallel universe and lived that life that seemed almost perfect, mm. but wasn't quite. It was just off, and now they've reached this point, and they realise... Oh, Some sort of bizarre, strange parallel universe where Donald Trump is president. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I know we've just written a screenplay, but so there are options. Like you said... Is it needed? Is it necessary? Well, if you've got a winning formula and you've made two winning films, why not try for a third? I think, unfortunately, it would seem the only way is down, but you never know. I mean, I I thought this was really, really good and I was expecting it not to be, so... Mm. Definitely watch the first one and then come back to me tomorrow. Watch the first one, re-watch the second one, write the third one, (laughs) send it to Christopher Landon, (laughs) along with a, a facial profile shot, so I can be cast in the third film. Oh, that would be hilarious. Can you imagine well, my face this? as as the, as the baby mask. as the yeah, as yeah. the mask? Yeah, your face is the mask. <laughs> oh, that'd be terrifying. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm getting, well, blimey, yeah, it would be horrific. Um, Mr. Fields, happy death day to you. Indeed, is it worth it? Yes, this is definitely worth going to see in the cinema. I think it was good fun. Good, entertaining fun. Uh, it was not terrible. It's not bad. It's good. It's good fun. And it's entertaining, as I've said, like three times. So, uh, yeah, definitely worth going you're, to see You're now stuck in a loop, a time loop, yep. just on repeat. That's what I'm doing. Um, for you, David? Yes. You know, for me, this is really worth it. I found it really easy to watch. I found it funny. I found it moving. I, I, scary at times as well. It shouldn't work. It's totally ridiculous. Um, if I read this uh, script, screenplay, I, I would be straight in the bin. Um, <laughs> a lo- along with a few How other... many screenplays have you read before? <laughs> many, many screenplays. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big screenplay reader in my spare time. Um, <laughs> <You're such a laughs> That's true. It's true. It's true. It's going to happen, folks. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know why I'm doing a Donald Trump impression. I, mean, I think we've had too much caffeine again. The dark roast has taken effect. Anyway, happy death day to you. Um, go and see it. Why not? Good film. It's true. Thank you very much for listening to week 30 of is it worth it the film review podcast it's the part of the show the outro where we like to take a look at uh the tweets that we've uh, had people tweeting us or facebook messages etc um and on twitter we've been doing uh, a competition almost each week on tuesday which we call question tuesday <laughs> that's a really original name isn't it it is it's yeah even rhyme isn't no. it there's no reason nor rhyme to it. So on Question Tuesday, uh, we put forward to uh, all of you. Uh, do you have the question there? I do indeed. Uh, we asked, what is your favourite acting performance of all time, male or female? Who? In what film? And why? And we had a number of responses. I'll read a few out now. Bo Stone says, Daniel Day Lewis in Lincoln. What a performance. Clapping hand emoji, clapping hand emoji, clapping hand emoji, clapping hand emoji. <laughs> also for me, Andy Circus in Planet of the Apes trilogy. It's one thing portraying another human being. It's another level to portray an ape. That is very true. Yeah. Although Donald Trump does do that very well. Extremely underappreciated by the Academy for his motion caption work. Hmm. Beer Map Movies writes, Saoirse Ronan in anything. She's the best actor on the planet and I'll fight anyone in a skip with a broken bottle if they disagree. 
<laughs> thank you, BMAT Movies. Uh, <laughs> thank you, to be fair, she is great. That Wow, what a tweet. Um, the gaming bear, the good old gaming bear, he said to us, I mean, there's only one real winner, and we have a Paddington gif, um, which is brilliant. Paddington, Paddington 1, Paddington 2. I know Craig is a huge fan of that. Um, a few other um, people as well. I know somebody said that they absolutely loved Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything. I'm not 100% sure who that was because I've got a lot of tweets in front of me. I think that was Missy. Missy, that's yeah. correct. And we've uh, got... Should we read that one out? Yes, if yeah. you can find it. <laughs> it's a tough decision, but for me, it's Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything. The sheer uh, physicality he put into the role is indescribable uh, and incomparable with any other performance, in my opinion. <laughs> that's a good one. I mean, I... <laughs> And this is a typical example of how a, th- a Twitter thread can get out of hand. I mean, there's another GIF here of a squirrel eating some nuts. Another what? GIF. GIF. It's GIF. It's a G. GIF. I, I think it's GIF. It's, that was a GIF. It's or a, a GIF. GIF. What, what does that stand for? Uh, I can't remember, but it's a, it begins with a G, the word. True. But anyway, GIF, GIF. There's one of a squirrel... Uh, we've done Saoirse Ronan. Tom Hardy. Uh, someone says Tom Hardy in... Someone. Who is it? Pretty X Cool. Um, it's got to be Tom Hardy in Locke. He's absolutely captivating. He carried the whole film. One man talking to various people on the phone, driving through the night. It was tense and gri- gripping. An astounding performance. Hmm. Uh, and that was from Pretty X Cool. Uh, Kerry, she writes, Charlie Ferone in uh, pl- uh, playing the part of Aileen... Uh, I can't even pronounce the surname, so that's terrible, because it's right in the moment and I haven't read the tweet yet. In Monster. I haven't seen Monster. Have you seen that? What was the name of the person? Uh, Aileen... I can't even pronounce it. It's W-U-O-M-O-S. How would you pronounce that, David? Your Fred is all over the place on Twitter, isn't it? You were trying to look at... Eileen Wormus. Is that how you say it? Uh, I didn't really want to attempt it because I hadn't actually attempted it yet. I didn't want it to come out like worm, you know, how people try and pronounce things and break it down, which I should have done previously when we were looking at reading out these tweets. But anyway, nonetheless, it was in Monster. Not surprisingly, she won Best Actress Oscar for her brilliant portrayal of Aileen. Love how she was unrecognisable and played her down to a T. Her butch sway uh, and her hair flicking her voice. Everything spot on. Mm. I, I want to watch this and I and I said to Kerry I was going to watch it so I am going to watch this at some point so, so there you have that, it there's some uh, there's some tweets my cousin John Spicker as well also uh, dropped me a, a tweet or dropped is it worth it a tweet where he said that he'd been to see Instant Family with his um, with his wife I know he really enjoyed it and they're actually uh, he just dropped me a message a few minutes ago they're actually watching The Favourite this evening um, and I'm really looking forward to because me and my cousin get on very well uh, I'm just <laughs> what happened there? I just lost the ability to talk. I'm really looking forward to hearing what he thinks of this film because it's a real Marmite movie. And he's either going to come out and go, I absolutely loved it, or what on earth was that all about? But anyway, thank you very much for taking part in our Question Tuesday. Um, we haven't thought of another question yet, um, but do look out for it on our Twitter. In terms of my answer, um, I still haven't decided what my favourite acting performance of all time. Therefore, I have decided that another bonus episode will be made um, which will be as long as you're producing it yeah I, I I'm not producing it Craig is producing it editing it and doing everything apart from well everything um, it, at some point this year we will do our top 10 or top 20 or top 100 acting before that would be a very long show top 10 
Top 10, I'll go with that then. Top 10 acting performances of all time from me and Craig. Like I said, that's not going to be anytime soon, but... I think we should schedule that for June. Why June? I don't know, sort of mid-bonus year episode, isn't it? Middle of the summer, I suppose. But as always, Craig, if our wonderful listeners do want to get in touch with us, how can they do so? They can get in touch with us using the wonderful world of email and the email address is my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com or they can tweet us at is no at film is worth it uh facebook instagram all of those different social medias there's too many for my liking i'm getting too old for this game um <laughs> yes there's lots of ways of getting in touch with us and and uh, the tickets will be won mm. uh, coming up on week 31 who's won them this week I believe it's Missy. I think we agreed that. Yes. So, Missy, you've got two tickets to see any film at any time, at any Cineworld in the UK. It isn't any time because it's obviously due to schedules at Cineworld. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the tickets don't allow you just to turn up at 2am and demand Cineworld put a screening on. But like Which Craig nice. said, the scheduled screenings, uh, you can go and see your, yourself a film. Yes, and uh, next week, I we are going to announce on Twitter something that I haven't even told David yet, so he's going to be really surprised looking oh at me like, my oh my word. God, what's happening? Well, actually, we're giving away two tickets to see Captain Marvel. Oh. Yeah. So people can... Um, retweet the tweet that we put out that you'll see you'll know which tweet it is when you see it and uh, and f- give us a follow give us a retweet mm-hmm. and uh, you could win yourself two tickets to see Captain Marvel that's, that's, that's pretty good I'll admit that's a competition that I would like to be involved in but you can see it anyway but I want more of Tom's <laughs> Chili anyway Craig <laughs> now that is a good competition I'm, I'm shocked um, look out for that tweet. What have we got coming up on week 31? Well, uh, we'll be reviewing a number of films, as always, including Cold Pursuit, The Aftermath, Fighting With My Family, What They Had, and The Hole in the Ground. That may be subject to change, but certainly at least two or three of those films will be reviewed on week 31. There's also going to be another film that I'm going to add in there. Can you guess what it is? Titanic? No. Oh. Serenity. Ser- okay. It's um, it's bizarre. Bizarre. It's on. You know what? It's gone straight to now TV as well. Yes. Yeah. I know what film you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to reviewing that one. Anyway, Mr. Fields, as always, it has been a great privilege of mine to spend the last 19 hours with you. I, I, I'm going <laughs> to say otherwise. <laughs> it wasn't actually 19 hours. Um, fairly, fairly good episode today. We smashed it out. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, fine. Yeah. So, um, thank you very much for listening uh, to week 30. And um, unless you have a time machine, we will see you again next week or speak to you again next week. Yeah, they can't really see us. <laughs>